IATSE Local 212 represents over 1,000 artists, technicians, and craftspeople working in Southern Alberta's entertainment industry. In the screen industry, they service projects with budgets ranging from $100,000 to $100 million. Recent increases to local production volumes have led to increased outreach and training. They promote respectful workplaces, safety, fairness, and first-rate benefits for their members. Local 212 is open to partnering with other industry stakeholders on training and marketing initiatives. They offer an informative set etiquette course each month, which is open to all. To learn more about them, please check out their website at iatse212.com or like and follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Happy podcasting! Hello, welcome to the Alberta Filmmakers Podcast. Yahoo! Yahoo! I'm Matt Waterworth. I'm Scott Westby. And we are uh, on Skype uh, recording uh, another episode of the show. Thanks for joining us, as usual. Um, it is a very special episode uh, of the Alberta Filmmakers Podcast. Special. What's that? Probably our most special episode. It might be, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, you know, we've, I don't know what our number is on iTunes, but it's more than 100. Uh, but this is our 100th real episode, um, which is kind of a cool milestone. I mean, uh, I remember being, you know, sitting at the Banff World Media uh, Festival and chatting about this idea with you and some other filmmakers and thinking about whether it would be a, a good, you know, use of time or not and and uh, and kind of coming up with the format. And, and here we are a couple of years later. Uh, it took us a hundred episodes to realize it was not a good use of our time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so that's it. So, uh, <laughs> no, it's funny. It's actually interesting. Um, it, it is some, some sort of milestone when I, when we, when we chat about the podcast with people too, cause it's like, yeah, I'm just about to release our hundredth episode and people go, Oh, like, you know, it's, it, I think it legitimizes it a little bit. Yeah, um, for sure. For sure. Yeah. We can syndicate it now or something. Isn't that a thing? Yeah, that's right. Of course. Yes. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, I think, I think, uh, because it's popular and sort of easy, um, to do now, which is great and it, and it should be, it's nice that it's democratized, but, um, it's also, uh, I don't know. I, 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 there's some stat where most, most podcasts don't get past episode three or something like that. So, um, so yeah, it's cool. It's nice. It's, uh, a nice thing to have and hopefully we're providing some value for uh, ourselves and the people in our community um and overall uh, enhancing the uh, the landscape here in alberta for for filmmakers so absolutely that's the goal uh there was another milestone that we just crossed recently and uh that was the stinger awards which was you know southern alberta's first that i can remember uh film awards yeah and uh, you know, you kind of were the, the driving force behind this for years. You know, you were always talking about doing, creating an awards. I, I can talk about this because then it's not you bragging. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, like Fava has Fava Fest up in Edmonton and, uh, we didn't have anything like that in Calgary, at least not since you and I've been in the industry. There might've been something in the past that we weren't. Yeah. Really with, but so, you know, the awards, um, happened when was, what was the date of that? You would know that better than me. November twenty. 20- uh, 24th, I think. And they were friggin' awesome. It went, yeah, it went really well. They were um, super, super fun, man. Yeah. It, it, lots of, lots of really positive feedback. I mean, there's always room for improvement, but, uh, 
you know, we were we were kind of uh, all a little nervous about how it, would, it was going to go down the first time uh, many of us had had, uh, you know, been as involved in creating an event of this size, uh, but also, you know, the first event of its kind, um, at least, uh, you know, in a series that we hope, you know, continues annually. So, um, yeah, really, really, um, got some incredible feedback. You know, we were just, we're just getting ready to do a little debrief meeting and, and firing some notes, uh, back and forth. And somebody mentioned that, um, and I don't know who, uh, this comment was, but, but, uh, it stood out to me because they, they said they felt like it sort of represented a turning point in our, in our community, in the Southern Alberta film community. So, um, I certainly hope that's the case. Um, yeah, I heard that and, more than once actually at the party. Yeah. Like it was yeah. a, like a milestone where it was like, I don't know. There's just something about a, an event like that mm-hmm. that brings a community together. Yeah, it's uh, it was really nice, and it was like, yeah, just even even to just see people who who I haven't seen in a while and um, and share a drink after the fact and uh, and and some hugs, and it was kind of nice in the holiday season as well a little bit. So. Um, yeah, it's good timing for sure for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we, we're, we're guilty of this. We don't celebrate our successes and, you know, I think the whole industry doesn't. Well, yeah. Yeah. um, so it was nice mm-hmm. to, yeah, I get that recognition and those trophies are frig, they're, fuck, man, they're so cool. They're, <laughs> they're so great. Yeah. On wooden blocks and you can like plug a trophy in and it lights up. Yeah. And, and what was funny about it is it was like, Oh, what a great, you know, social media, Instagrammable thing. But the problem is when you turn it on, the light bulb itself is, uh, too bright for you to necessarily sort of right. easily see the winner. Right. But uh, someone from the Abracadavers team, I don't know if it was an HDR photo or what, but they 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 plugged it in at the event and uh, probably Morgan and shot this great um, great shot of like the best the best photo I've seen of it. Um, yeah, the best web series winner. Um, and uh, so yeah, really really cool. Uh, and it, it is it's a gorgeous looking award. And and now I want one. It's uh, which I is want good. One too, man. I, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's so funny because, you know, the awards are only they only matter if everyone agrees they matter. Right. Exactly. Right. They don't actually really mean anything. It's just like, here's a trophy now. And they're like, great. And now it's like, OK, that's it. But and so, you know, you always wonder when you're creating an event like this, like, is anyone going to give a shit? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and I was like it's, sitting it's there so like, yeah, we just invented this. Um, yeah. But now I want one. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's and it's so true of every award show. Right. It's like it's completely meaningless. It's just a couple people's opinion that. But yeah. but if if there's buy in and everyone agrees, all right, yeah, I accept this to be sort of a, a valuable thing, a milestone, a, a something to strive for. Um, not by any means uh, the reason anyone should be making their films, uh, but a, a nice bonus um, uh, if, you, if you can pick one up. So yeah, and and I mean, you cannot deny that it can it can help a career, right? Not yeah, only, absolutely. Yeah, like you can say you're an award winning filmmaker now, Certainly. and it's like. Some yes, some people will be like, okay, what award? But others will not. So yeah, there's yeah. this intrinsic value created there for sure. Um, and for yes, sure. it doesn't. You know, for people who poo on awards, that's totally fine. No, they're just they don't mean anything necessarily. They're just trophies. But well, I mean, even I don't know. Even the Oscars sometimes there's the Oscar curse where people don't. <laughs> it doesn't actually help their careers all that much. Sometimes it seems like, but. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's nice, and and like and like this podcast, it's it's sort of another entry into the landscape of uh, you know the film community here, and and you know we have a lot of folks, you know, uh, 
and we talk about this a lot and there's no, you know, no hard feelings and, and, uh, people who leave to other jurisdictions, um, either because they can or because they want to, or because there's better opportunity. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's sort of part of a, part of just trying to enhance the landscape here. Um, and, uh, and there's more, more things to do. And, and I hope, uh, you, and actually you spoke, uh, right off the top of the show, um, sort of encouraging the, the community members to get involved specifically in the, uh, the board at the board of the CSIF, um, yes. which, which would be great. Uh, but also just, you know, in general, like, uh, like I think it's, it's, it was kind of cool to be like, look, look, we created this and yeah, it, it stressed a lot of us out for a long time, but in the grand scheme, it wasn't that much effort to create something really cool. And man, what if, what if we all came together and, and kept building this, this community right. and kept creating these sorts of, yeah. well, and the it, thing is that it, it that is. exists now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's like I walked it as soon as I walked in the building that night, I was like, oh, this is obviously going to happen again next year. <laughs> right. 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 Like yeah. it's like it is part of the film community now. And, yeah. you know, yeah, I completely agree with you. The same goes for this podcast. Like um, we didn't you know, we didn't ask for anyone's permission. Right. To make this. Totally. You know, we, just, we just started doing it. And, and so, you know, it goes to show that you don't you don't uh, need to cater to the whims of, you know, the powers that be to help our community and build something. Here. Right. You could just go do it, you know, and, and it, and it's helpful and Absolutely. it creates, it creates a landscape, like you said, where people feel like they don't have to leave because there's, you know, there's space for them here. Yeah. That's my hope. Uh, for uh, sure. Mine as well, man. Mine as well. And that's, you know, that's what this podcast is all about. So if you're feeling like, you know, you're an outsider looking in, um, you're not, Right. There is no in. Uh, so just just go make something, as we always say at the end of the show. Yes. Good point. Well said. Uh, yeah, I, I, I had uh, I had coffee with uh, with somebody um, uh, over the weekend, uh, actually, uh, uh, someone from from uh, Edmonton. Um, and they uh, they they mentioned that they had been listening to the show and uh, obviously are interested in what's going on with Jonesen. So we have to provide the Jonesen update. Sure. So, so, <laughs> so and this one's kind of like a boring one. I mean, when you talk about the, un, the unsexiness of filmmaking, um, it's, uh, I mean, f- for me right now, it's, 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 you know, we got, we got the, the SPG application in, uh, deadline for that was on, uh, on Friday. And so that's the beginning of what will be, Probably uh, more than a year uh, a process of, of working with the government to uh, get that wonderful uh, grant that they provide filmmakers in the uh, in the province. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just lots of paperwork, lots of uh, lots of people um, checking in to see uh, how things are going. Um, you know, some some folks say, "Oh, well, you're done shooting now," and uh, and I'm like, "Yeah." Yeah, the, the cameras have stopped rolling, but that yeah. doesn't mean that it's not a ton of work constantly. Yeah, it's so, so funny. A producer's job is so out of sync with what feels like the movie's progress, right? Like yeah, yeah. When the movie's shooting, the producer is, you know, uh, sure, they're busy on putting out fires, but they're probably not more Hopefully, or less busy yeah. than they were beforehand yeah. and afterwards. Right. Yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it was, it's so funny because I was like, oh, there's nothing to update on Jones, but you've been working your ass off on it. <laughs> Well, but what about, I guess we did talk about the fact that you've been digging into the footage last week, right? There's the, that's already been said. Yeah, yeah. Ken and I, you know, we had a, a sit down right. session and we're just trying to find some time to do another one. Um, but people are, are asking more about In Plain View now because uh, it's, it's goddamn time 
yes. see that movie. I ran into Stafford Perry this morning, who's just one oh, of yeah. my favorite people. She's at a coffee shop. Um, what's going on with the movie, man? What's going on? And uh, the answer is the pieces are moving now to actually get it out. <laughs> they are. They are. There's a, long, there's a lot of uh, waiting on people for various bureaucracy yeah. yeah bureaucracy and, and just you know not hearing back from a lot of different people and it just felt stalled and it was uh it was a disheartening few months you know uh, it was it was lucky for me to be working on jonesen but it, i felt powerless as far as as moving in plain view goes yeah yeah but it feels like we've got a little bit of momentum back just in time to lose it for christmas <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> so yeah you know we're, we're going to be having a big premiere uh when the time is right and we'll be yeah there. i mean and and it feels like that's kind of the next the next project now is like okay now the, the you know production is done on jones and uh you know uh, we had our, our friends from vancouver uh the rogue panda folks with the web series that we shot in october and then uh the the stringer awards um and yeah. so now and well and now the spg application is in as well so now for me, it's like, okay, let's uh, yeah. see about getting this thing out there. Yeah, I completely agree. And, you know, with, with a little more focus and intention. Um, yeah. So hopefully we're making a big splash about that uh, very early in the new year. All right. Oh, so, still fantasy movie league. <laughs> do. Yes, they do. I do came you, in do you? and I, yeah, I played every week. Oh my God. I didn't even know. Yeah. The season just ended. Briar won uh again again yeah but it was close it was close uh but no she she picked up the uh the trophy for first place so it is this week is the start of a new uh season at the fantasy movie league you can join us at fantasymovieleague.com slash group slash 8337 uh you get your own uh you know fake movie theater that you you have a budget to spend on filling in with movies that are playing this weekend yeah and, if you don't uh, know it's fantasy football for movie fans basically yeah and the, i think the password is uh, all caps ab film if you're a listener, you are absolutely welcome to join and play along with us. Uh, and Briar will beat you again this season. <laughs> um, <laughs> some very exciting news here. Uh, with uh, I, is this is this YouTube Originals or YouTube Red? Or it, is, what? it is YouTube. Oh, YouTube Premium. Yeah, YouTube Premium. Yeah, it had a few different incarnations or, or different. But okay, so this is this would be a YouTube series, executive produced by Ben Stiller. Yes. With my old bosses at 724 Films um, yes. and a number of other sort of partners, it looks like, including Entertainment One, um, creating a series called Dark Cargo, or at least a pilot for, for YouTube. Yes, that's right. Which and looks it, very cool. Yeah, and it will be shooting in Calgary. Excellent. So was, that was my next question. Yeah, I wasn't fully sure about it, but there's a Calgary Herald article that says yes uh, okay. in late February. Oh, so cool. it's coming to town. Uh, Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Once again, yeah. for, you know, keeping our industry pumping. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And, uh, and, and nice in the winter too. I mean, a lot of folks are saying, Hey, what, what happened there? Uh, it seems like <laughs> there's a lot of production and it all seems to have gone now. And I mean, not that we had Fargo last year, but, but Fargo seemed to fill the the void, uh, when, when things got slow in, the uh, in the winter time. Um, so at least, yeah, a pilot in, in the winter here, uh, is a, is a good thing to have. Absolutely. Um, so, so, you know, some, some, some awards have like short lists, but the Oscars, they have a long list. Ah. Yeah. And, uh, there's a rosy winner called skin for skin that has yes. been long listed. Wow. Academy awards. 
for yeah. what what kind of what kind of film is it? Is it a short or a feature or what? Um, it's an animated short, I think. Ah, okay. Yeah, cool. yeah. So it's oh, so it is. Yeah. Well, that's very exciting. Yeah, it's super exciting. Yeah. So I, I have no idea what the process is here. Once you're on the long list. Yeah, uh, I always wonder, like, what, like, there's foreign film. So obviously, this would technically be a foreign film, but they don't do foreign film for the smaller categories, right. uh, for shorter categories, I should say. So, uh, yeah, but of course, like, I know that French films have won best short, and and so it's, uh, yeah, I'm not sure how that works, but uh, hopefully, anyway, this film continues to progress and and gets nominated. That'd be cool. totally, and it actually looks super, super, super cool. Um, there's a link to the film itself, uh, the, the website for it uh, in the show notes. Um, okay. I definitely recommend checking it out because it looks awesome. Um, nice. So yeah, congrats to those people. Even, even just that is, you know, a huge achievement. Mm-hmm, no doubt. Yeah, that's great. It's, uh, it, it, it's happened. Uh, there was a, a couple of Alberta filmmakers with an animated uh, NFB short that were nominated for best animated short some years ago. I'm trying to think of who they were, um, but a really incredible short. And uh, yeah, hopefully this is a, a, another one that gets a, a nomination. That'd be wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. You should see the laurels on their website. This is crazy. Yeah. They, yeah. yeah. I'm trying to yeah. see who, who are the filmmakers though. Kevin D. A. Kuryinik. And Carol Beecher. Frutnik and Carol Beecher. And yeah, they have lots of pictures of their cats. Yeah. <laughs> well, congratulations uh, to them. Hugely. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, uh, yeah, yeah so, uh, what is going on in the world of FAVA, Scott? Well, uh, the, you know, they're a member of an organization much like the CSIF, and they want FAVA members to weigh in on what the equipment purchases will look like for the next three years. So right. you can check out uh, this SurveyMonkey link in the show notes. It takes less than four minutes to complete uh, and have your say into what that landscape is going to look like for you. Yeah, and I mean, you know, the uh, Canada Council for the Arts uh, requires that that uh, organizations like FAVA you know, have their sort of three-year plan in. So, so um, it's harder to have an impact on the kind of gear that gets carried um, unless you kind of get your say in now. So, yeah. Uh, it's nice that they're reaching out to the membership uh, for information uh, and feedback on that. So get your get your voice heard. Yeah, absolutely. All right, here we go. Okay. Yes, we are. <laughs> I can't believe how long this intro is. When we knew that this, we knew this. So it is. We're so stupid. It's a long one, and it's uh, and of course, you know, we wanted to find someone very special for the hundredth episode. Uh, so special that it turned into two episodes. So this is just part one of our conversation with. Uh, you know, world-class uh, gentleman, um, scholar, <laughs> kind fellow, one of the, you know, one Not of the really scholar, actually. If you... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. Yeah. Um, yeah. This conversation with Murray Ward just filled with so many great stories um, and uh, learned some new stuff about him, which was great. But, you know, I knew and, and you and I both both knew that there were some stories we we've heard him tell in the past that we knew we wanted to get on yeah. uh, on mm-hmm. tape. Um, and I think we captured quite a few, uh, really strong ones. So absolutely. Uh, he, you know, when, when we made in plain view, we said, you know, the budget was 250,000 and six miracles. And mm-hmm. as, as we're making Jones and we realized that the miracles were, were Murray. Yes. Yes. Right? Like he's just, he's, he's a wizard. And, um, and you know, uh, it, it, he, he's, a, he's an interesting character in the way that he tells stories. You know, he, he, 
he connects it to people a lot. So it's going to feel a little bit like listening to a, an episode of Game of Thrones. There's a lot of, you know, yes. <laughs> a lot of characters in the. Uh... Yeah. But just, you know, have patience with it. It all it all comes. You know, there's a point to all of it. And there's a lesson to be learned as well after the fact. And that will be part two uh, that will release later. But um, yeah, there's some great stories in this. So that's my spiel yeah. about it. Uh, well, and uh, one more thing to note is that uh, we didn't mention it right off the top, but we recorded in uh, Swans of Inglewood, uh, which was uh, kind enough to sort of have uh, have a couple of seats for us in a little alcove where, of course, we also shot some of Jones. And uh, it was also the after party location for uh, the Stinger Awards. So very um, apropos uh, spot to record with Nick, who uh, found the location for us in the first place. So. That's right. Here he is. But uh, we have Murray Ord, the uh, the legend. Um, episode number 100 of the show as well, which is uh, a special one. Um, and uh, Murray, you, you, you were kind of a, a staple of the Alberta film community, and uh, we've been talking about having you on the show for a long time. You long were time coming. You were the first name that came up. I remember when, when right, Matt yeah. and I were sitting in this Boston Pizza, and we were saying, all right, we're going to do this <laughs> podcast. Who are we going to get on it? Well, Murray, okay, who else? <laughs> So I think it's really lovely, yeah, to have you here for the hundredth episode. Yeah, um, I think the audience is in for a treat, um, because I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think for the folks who don't know you, I, I mean, let's start at the beginning. How did uh, how did you get started in the film industry? What was the film industry like when you got started? Wow, that really goes back a long ways, and it's uh, terrific to be here. I do remember you asked me to be on this a couple times, yeah, and, I, yeah. and I, in fact, yeah. I didn't know. Uh, or have heard uh, any of your podcasts till about an hour ago. Right. My daughter was driving me here to Swans where we shot our last movie. And uh, um, I was listening to your podcast. You guys are really good at it. You <laughs> kind of play you. off each yeah, other. Yeah, we've nice had a lot of practice. Sure. By yeah, now. yeah. It's pretty, well, after 100, I guess <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, you sure. kind of get okay. It's, but you, you play, it's very conversational. Yeah, so it's yeah, very we, totally, refreshing. Totally, yeah. It kind of yeah. reminds me, there's a podcast, our other daughter listens to all the time, Sarah, and it's these two girls. You probably know them from LA, and they're quite funny. And I think one's a writer and one's something else. And they're quite. It's it's about um, uh, they get into crime and crazy killings. Oh yeah, yeah. It's very po- it's very popular well, you, in podcasts. What is that called? There's, I don't know. There's a lot of them now. They're, they're, a ton of and true these girls podcasts. are terrific, and right. they're kind of like okay. the two of you. And they go back and forth, and they start by not talking about uh, this grisly crime right, right. at get all. Into it. Right. <laughs> and then and then they go, oh, let's get into that yeah, now. Right. And then they get right into right. it. It's oh, quite, right. quite cool. So it reminded oh, me I'll kind of that. I'll have to find out what that is so, and check it out. This yeah, is awesome. Matt maybe knows the name of it. Well, there is actually there's a group of female podcasters in town here called The Lady Dicks, which is which is a true crime podcast. Right. And Like Lady Detectives? Yes. And and they, yeah, that's what they talk about, but they're, yeah, it's kind of the same style. Incredibly popular topic on podcasts. And and actually, before pod, before podcasts were super popular and everybody had one, right. I, I used to listen to a podcast called um, The Serial Killers Podcast. It was just... The, really? Yeah, because... And, and, and this guy, just from his home, would do these 
profiles of serial killers and you'd you'd hear the whole story and the, and the whole horrible elements of it and and but he would go deep into like what was the, their childhood like and why you know wow. you know what's the, what's the study and that's the, been done need, around you this? need that stuff when you're talking totally, about serial killers totally. yeah, you need that sure, length for sure you, know, absolutely. Absolutely. you want to know yeah. the whole story well, not, and that serial killer he had a great up, wonderful upbringing right. sure, yeah, or not yeah. he was yeah. a basketball star <laughs> yeah, yeah. no he wasn't beaten when he was five years right, old right. He, he, yeah. or had you know sexual encounters with right. his parents and cousins right. yeah. Very yeah. No, and a great student popular and the valedictorian not much of a story until he started killing exactly pretty boring life but yeah it is an oddly popular topic. In fact, probably the most successful podcast of all time, I would think, is Serial, which is which is a true yeah. crime podcast. Um, so yeah, I don't know which one because there are so many. But but yeah, there's there's even I'll a local f- one. I'll find out this one mm-hmm. that Sarah yeah yeah love to know. Uh, listens sure. to and let you know about because right. I think the two of you would enjoy it. Anyway, to your question yes, about yes. Uh, when I started in the business and how I started. Uh, I, well, I grew up in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, in uh, Prairie City. And, You're a big uh, Rough Riders fan. A yeah. big Rough Riders Still fan. And darn it all. Yeah, yeah we didn't make the, uh, we made it to the, we hosted the semifinal playoff game, but just didn't make it this mm. year. But uh, yeah, there's a group of us here in Saskatchewan. We'll eventually get to film discussion here, but <laughs> yes, we'll so talk true. riders for yeah, a bit. Yeah, that's fine. We have to talk riders first. <laughs> and, there's uh, a huge contingent of riders. Huge. Fans. And there's a group of us. Uh, since our children were born, uh, there's a, there's about four or five families. Uh, we all grew up and uh, we all um, uh, were married and, and had our kids in pretty much the same neighborhood. Okay. And we're all from Saskatchewan originally. Right. And it turns out we didn't know each other till we moved here, uh-huh. and except one family and us. And <clears throat> we became close friends and our kids have been raised right. as rider fans from the time <laughs> they were little. They had rider outfits. Sure. And they're now, you know, 21, 22, 25 years old. Right. We still get together in Calgary for every rider game. We wear jerseys. Wow. Uh, we watch on television. Every game? We, we listen every game. <laughs> we listen to uh, the rider uh, radio out of right. CKRM in Regina, Saskatchewan, <laughs> Rod Peterson. Yeah. And uh, we uh, uh, are, it's it's a big deal. It's a cult. It's, oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's, and it's, it's everywhere, it's, too. It's, a, it's incredible. I would say there are probably as many riders fans in Calgary as Stamps fans. Almost. Yeah, well, I, like, I yeah. would agree. And it's not just Calgary, uh, Scott, but it's all over the world. Like right. there's uh, rider radio, which is CKRM, KRM every Monday live, uh, and they let people phone in and fans from all across the country. Never mind Canada. The world. They'll phone from like London, England. How does how how did this happen? Uh, It's just uh, it's it's a big part of. I mean, it really relates actually to theater and art and culture because it's the big uh, story in the province, right? right? Uh, it's the only professional sports organization, has been for many, many years. Uh, it's always been kind of the underdog. Right, uh, right, right. It's always yep. had that uh, uh, com- connection to community. It's a community-owned football club. And now <clears throat> now there's uh, more corporate-owned, uh, even in the Canadian Football League, like the Calgary yeah, Stampeders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are owned by the Calgary Flames. They've merged because right. it works sure, financially. Sure. Uh, Toronto is owned by uh, Toronto Argonauts. Are owned by the Maple Leaf organization, oh, okay. which is a big sports organization. Saskatchewan's is community owned, really? so everybody in the community huh. uh, you can buy uh, memberships to the wow. club. I mean, there's still financial support. There's a board of directors. Sure, of it's course. very, very professional. Right, but right. Um, 
But the community is so very more connected. Investment. Yeah, and yeah. people drive for, uh, speaking of coming to events, whether it's arts or culture, because also it's not just in Regina where the stadium is. People drive for six hours. There's season ticket holders in North Dakota that drive <laughs> to the games. Unbelievable. Yeah, so Unreal. it's... Pretty well. I remember and, being in high school and the uh, and, and I went to an Eskimos game yeah. and I was like I didn't even know who we were playing yeah. but I'm on the train on the way in and right. everybody is wearing Rough Riders gear. <laughs> and you're, like, you're are th- there more Rough Riders fans on this train than this? <laughs> you thought you'd been transported? <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. <laughs> anyway, that's where I grew up and that's the environment. So I was a big sports fan and okay. played sports when I was a kid and uh, you know I wasn't a, a top player or anything like that but um, had a lot of friends who were. Anyway, I. Um, I did, I wasn't, there was only one drama program in high school and it was only offered in grade nine. And uh, so I, t- I was in that and always liked it and, and uh, was the master ceremonies that uh, um, we'd have, uh, f- we had houses in high school. So there was Delta House and I can't remember the other names. They always had, yeah, they always <laughs> had a variety show, right? Exactly. <laughs> and so I was the MC of some of those shows to right. kind of keep that going okay. through high school. Right. And, this is, yeah. uh, and uh, liked a lot. Anyway, graduated from high school, uh, moved to uh, Calgary immediately. Uh, when I was, cause I just, not that I hated Moose Jaw, I just wanted to get, to, uh, get, get to out of here. And I had a half sister who lived here and a okay. family here. And I got a job, um, right away at, it was called BA oil at the time, big oil company downtown, worked in the mail room, delivered mail, uh, First and third floor on the hour, seven, eight, and eleven on the half oh hour. Oh my god! And that was when you delivered actual letters. Right. This was, a, you know, major international oil company. Sure, right. Um, with wagons, and you pushed them around. Yeah, the yeah, Because yeah. there was no email or anything like right, that. Right. And did that all day long. Wow. And it was a great job for three months. And then I decided I didn't want to really follow that. It was a great experience. Got to know Calgary. Went back to Moose Jaw. Spent uh, over Christmas season uh, drinking and partying with my friends. Moved back to Calgary again and then had uh, two or three other jobs. And at the end of that year, my family really wanted me to go to university. And I I really wasn't that interested. And I said, what I did know uh, very early on in life, Matt, I was not going to uh, get a job or a career in something that I didn't like doing. Sure. Just to have a job. Sure. And I wasn't, you know, that interested in math or chemistry. or So it certainly wasn't going to be engineering right, or course. accounting or law, being a lawyer or anything like that. And I said, okay, I'll go to university. And the only university I um, was eligible for because of my marks, they weren't awful, but they were mediocre, you know, 62, 64% average sure. that I could get into was my home province, University of Saskatchewan. Okay. And I said, I'll go there, but I'll only enlist, enroll if I can uh, take something I like, which would be theater, right, right. Okay. fine arts. Oh, okay. And cool. they had a pretty good theater program there. So uh, my family said, oh, that's great to do that. So they just wanted me to go to university. So, so I you, went. You, go ahead. People don't know that you you have experience sort of on both sides right. of the camera necessarily. So was this the performing side? or, yes, or okay, performing cool. side, Excellent. acting side, because okay. that's kind of what I gravitated towards in high school. Right. And I was always comfortable talking to people and et cetera. Sure. So I enrolled in the theater department at uh, U of S. It's called the Greystone Theater. And it was in this old shack building and really nice folks there and and uh, was there for a year, but I didn't really get on to it. I didn't really like it that much. I'd had fun in Calgary, a young guy going to the beer parlor here with sure. friends and partying and drinking. So I left U of S uh, at the end of that year. 
and came back to Calgary and enrolled in UFC. Oh, okay. And I thought, well, maybe I was in the wrong program. Maybe I should try something else. Right. So I thought, well, how about the education department? Because maybe there's kind of a connection there. Sure. So I enrolled in the education department at UFC. And after about a month and a half, I started with five, and then I started with five uh, um, uh, subjects. By Christmas, I only had three because I dropped two because I didn't like them. And then sure. just by the end of that year, that, uh, that was the last thing in the world I wanted to do, I felt. And okay. so that summer, I walked across the campus. And uh, at that time, uh, which was uh, the uh, kind of late 60s, um, UFC, it was only, it was called UAC at the time. Not a lot of people don't know that. University of Alberta, Calgary. Ah, uh, yes. Oh, it wasn't officially right. UFC. Because, and, uh, why was that? Uh, well, because know? it was a small university, an upstart university, okay. and uh, they just only had 3,000 students in the entire university. Okay. Okay. So was it like uh, a, like a sub, sub of the University of Alberta? Yeah, connected to University, oh. of, Alberta, U- university of Alberta, Calgary. So cool. it wasn't didn't have the status yet or right. whatever yeah, you yeah, call yeah. it. Well, uh, I, I, I remember, a. yeah, I'm from Edmonton, and I, know. I, I remember a story, hearing a story about how the U of A was not... There was an argument that the U of A should not be in Edmonton, that the oh. capital city was getting too much stuff already that oh. they shouldn't. So, so it got built at before Edmonton absorbed. What part of town is it in? I'm forgetting. You, White you, Avenue. You, the White Avenue White area. Avenue. It's because I know Edmonton. I shot a lot Strathcona. of movies. Strathcona. Strathcona. That's right. So yeah. Strathcona was its own city or yeah, town right. at the time. That's so right. that's where it was. And uh, then Edmonton oh. just absorbed it. Oh, okay. So it became an oh, Edmonton. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> it, it was the big dog in the province, yeah, right. right? It was the university. And I guess probably Calgary said, well, we're big enough now. We can have a university. But initially, it wasn't big enough or whatever the right. rules were. Right. So they well, said- What year are we talking here? That would have been- 1967, 8-ish. Okay. okay. So it was UAC, University of Alberta, Calgary, and probably how they got designation was because they had to be connected right. to a legit Sure, proper university, university. like accredited. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So uh, I walked across the campus in the summer uh, to the fine arts department and found the theater department, and Craig Elliott was... Uh, the uh, assistant dean there, and the head of the department was Victor Mitchell, a real legend in theater in Calgary. You guys may not know him, but there's a theater named after him at oh, Pump huh? House called okay. the Victor Mitchell Theater. Okay, okay. Um, and Joyce Doolittle, who taught at the theater department, there's a theater named after her okay. at the, the Pump theater. House. Yeah, uh, the, yeah. yeah, Joyce Doolittle Theater. Right. Wow. Uh, and her husband, Quentin, was a big... Um, music, um, uh, symphony music conductor and player. So really interesting folks. Anyway, um, the actual school only had 3,000 people in it, and the department was very small. But in those days, because the oil industry was really uh, uh, substantial, the university had a lot of money, University of Calgary, and they hired in any faculty... The best of the best, right? right? And so you, uh, the University of Calgary's theater department had this great faculty, Phil Philip McCoy, an American who is a wonderful academic and great guy and very inspiring to me, was on the faculty. Um, um, uh, Bill Edelman, a big time designer from California, uh, was d- in the design department at cool. UFC. Um, uh, Dick Benner, who went on to be he, a really fine American writer, screenwriter, wow. uh, did a great uh, 
movie with Craig Russell years ago. If you look it up, I can't remember what it was called. Uh, Dick Benner was in the department. So a very exciting uh, department. Adam Tarn, who was this um, academic theater historian from, I think he was from an Eastern European country, that he would fly in one week of every month from... (laughs) Where, uh, Hungary or where wow, he sure. came from to teach classes. So it was like it was like this incredible cool. department. So very inspiring. So you were lured we, back we, into we, theater. We, so I there. Yeah, and they said we'll take you. Okay. We'll take a couple of your courses from U of S. You can transfer. Them. Oh, nice. And from then on, and I got cast in a show right away with with uh, Joyce Doolittle. Okay. And uh, met a good friend of mine who we're still good pals to this day. Uh, who went on? We had a television series later on in life to get Lynn Ivel. He was in the department. Came from Ontario. Anyway, it was a great experience. Very inspiring. And then what happened is stayed in the department. And in my final year, that's when things really flipped for me as an actor and performer and really the basis of what I uh, use as my guiding light still in in film and television in terms of performance. Um, They hired Keith Johnston from England. Now you guys don't are looking at me like you don't know who he's, he's like a, he's like a legend. He's like, he's like, um, he, he, he's like Martin Scorsese right. of, of improv. Okay. okay. There's two people that invented improvisational theater in the world. One is Keith Johnston from London, England. The other is Viola Spolin. And they both invented and wow. taught and wrote books on improvisational theater. Cool. And the University of Calgary uh, lured Keith Johnson to Calgary Amazing. to teach on the faculty and it was in my fourth year, and that was when I got introduced to improv. Keith oh. Johnson started Loose Moose Theater. He invented oh, okay, it. Oh, okay. Te- he's still, at 70-plus years old, um, gives workshops all over the world, lives wow. in Calgary still. Wow. Really? Brilliant Amazing. guy. Huh. Brilliant guy. And he totally flipped it around for me in terms of, because up to that point, and I was acting in theater and got nice roles at university, and it wasn't that it was bad instruction or anything, it was just a different way, and it was all sure. based on kind of tr- a traditional way of doing theater and sure. learning, you know, memorizing script, and, and, and then Keith took that all and just turned it all upside down on its head because it was all about being on stage and actually listening sure. to what an actor is saying, even if right. it's a scripted piece, right. and then responding, not waiting, right, to waiting for your line, to, right. to for your line, right, of course, because then yeah. it's just memorized, of course, yeah, stuff, and people go away saying, "It's kind of nice costumes, but it was all kind of." kind of boring right right. Uh, whereas he flipped and he he was all and he'd try different things because it would be in classes we'd he'd say okay uh uh okay we'd be sitting around on the floor he'd say okay matt uh, put a chair there sit in the chair for the next 60 seconds do nothing (laughs) now you try and sit in a chair with 12 of your fellow students watching you and, and do, do nothing. nothing, like don't move your arm. Like right. he didn't say don't move your arm. He just said do nothing. Right. <laughs> it's not. Cool. And pretty soon. I bet it's start, so funny. Oh, I bet everyone has a different interpretation yeah, of what exactly, that means. Exactly. Sitting in yeah. that chair. Yeah, really, 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 really interesting. Anyway, out of that, connecting back to Calgary, I started learning improv and was really influenced by it. And at that that summer when I graduated, um, there was another prof at from also from England, David Lander, who was another very cool guy. Richard Courtney was in the department, a big children's theater guy they brought from England. Anyway, David Lander landed a gig at this Calgary Stampede. He was a prof at UFC, 
And in 19, uh, whatever year that was, um, the oil industry cordoned off a section of the stampede and it was called Flair Square. And the idea, it was started by Jim Gray, who I've met now yeah, and worked with, yeah, we've very him. prominent oil and gas yeah. man in Calgary, wonderful, inspiring man, still at 84 years old, big inspiration to anybody right, in yeah. this city. He it's so start, generous, too. Yeah, yeah very generous. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah you I know, know Jim, him, yeah. Scott, a yeah, great, great guy. He um, started a company called Canadian Hunter, which became one of the most fa- successful oil and gas companies in the world right. out of Calgary. And he was assigned, but before that, he hadn't started... But in that year during the stampede, I'm getting ahead of myself. He still hadn't started Canadian Hunter. He was working for another company, a bigger company, okay. as a young oil and gas guy. Sure. And he got asked by the stampede to establish this area to promote the oil and gas industry on the grounds of the stampede. Okay. So he said, "Okay, let's cordon off an area of the stampede, and and we'll inv- I'll invite you know relationships I have with you know pick the companies whatever they were sure. at that time BA Oil yeah, and those, yeah. bring your drilling rig, bring your trucks, and literally put them on the grounds in this area. Call it Flare Square. We'll build a drilling rig which has we'll a flare, flare come out, out of it, yeah. and and it's just to people can come and see what the oil cool. industry is about." But the, he had the foresight to say, let's have other things going on mm, in Flair right. Square. And so he hired David Lander from the University of Calgary, or somebody did from the Stampede Grounds, to, could you bring four improv actors down to Flair Square and have them work the fl- square every day for eight hours, just doing little pop-up improv skits? And I was one of those guys that got hired. Oh, what, were the, okay. what, were the, what was the content of those skits? And it, the, the, there was no content because yeah. it was improv. improv so, yeah. But we had imp- But see, Keith Johnson invented improv games like you see at Loose Moose. Yeah, sure. It's all based on games. So we had games. David Lander was the uh, a coordinator of the games. And he'd just say, okay, we'll do this game, that game, cool. that game, right? And so we just make things up. <clears throat> and uh, we did that at Flair Square. And one of the girls that David Landed hired came from Victoria, Glynis Lation, who's now a famous theater Canadian theater director. She was in an improv company in Victoria called Company One. And Company One was started by Carl Hare, who was a prof at U of Vic, and he had studied Keith Johnson's improv oh, okay. games and used them to start this company, professional company, touring uh, Western Canada and Eastern Canada doing improv. Okay. And Glynis Lation, you following me so far, man? Oh, yeah. You're going to sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, we're like, Matt, if, you can't, if you're listening, you're, you should be writing these names down and drawing like exactly, line, line exactly. drawings. Scott actually yeah. is paying very close yeah. attention. He's actually drawing a chart. Yeah. It's like for those, of you that can't, yeah. for those of you that can't see us, Matt's actually nodding <laughs> off here. And, Not at all. So he, you, you actually should be having a beer so you can really go to sleep. Um, so, um, Carl Hare started this company, Company One. Glynis Lation, the actress that was brought to Flair Square to be in this four-person company to do improv, came to Flair Square to do the improv, and I got to know her. Okay. And I had just graduated from U of C learning Keith Johnson's improv. Right, of improv. course. So you're perfect, she, they, you're she had this company. She was in this company, and they had already done their first pro season touring. Okay. And a couple of actors had left the company, and they were looking to hire somebody who knew the whole Keith Johnson method, right, of improv. So she recommended me to Carl Hare, the artistic director at Company One in Victoria, and they hired me. Okay. Long story short, long story long and so I went out to Victoria and that's how I started as an actor toured Canada Western Canada with Company One uh, many touring BC uh, Alberta 
uh, in the schools, and then we do uh, adult shows at night in whatever city we were in, and we toured Montreal and Toronto as well. Did that for two years. Wow. Uh, finished there. Didn't want to do that anymore. Got hired by uh, Doug Risk, who started Alberta Theater Projects, which at that wow. time was in Heritage Park. Okay. Excuse me. It was in Heritage Park at the Canmore Opera House, and so got hired there. It was a a resident company, so we did shows for kids in schools. They'd be bused to the theater during the day. Cool. And we did adult shows at night. Hmm. Uh, Met Jack Aykroyd, a close friend of mine, fabulous actor, now lives in BC. Uh, And so worked in Calgary for um, that whole season at ATP. And during that run of that show, those shows, Robert Altman came to town. This is a nice segue into film and television uh-huh. to, to direct Buffalo Bill and the Indians. Okay. So what's what's this, in the 70s now, early yeah, 70s? Yeah, 1973? Six. Six, I think. I guess. Because um, the whole company won graduating from U of right. C. I graduated in 1972. Okay. And then Couple 72 to 74, front, right. uh, toured Canada. 74 to 75, ATP. So that was kind of sliding into 76. So it was 75, 76. Uh, Robin Altman came to town to direct this movie with Paul Newman. Terrific cast. Joel Gray was in the cast. Uh, Big time cast. Buffalo Bill in the end is produced by Dino De Laurentiis. Right. Uh, And um, so Jack Aykroyd, this friend of mine who was in ATP with me and I, we loved Robert Altman. And we were big fans of MASH. And, and sure. at that time, Nashville had just came come out, Robert Altman's movie, Nashville. Okay, right. yeah. so he was huge. Wonderful yeah. movie. We loved it. So uh, <clears throat> we said we should, uh, and we were both members of Actor, we said we, we, it'd be great to audition for that Robert Altman movie. He's going to be in town. So uh, at that time, uh, a lot of film companies were using the International Hotel not only to stay in, but to uh, set up production offices right in the hotel. Sam Wong ran the International Hotel, ran it. and So he was smart general manager, and he just said, we'll just rent you two floors. You put all your production. It worked great. Put all your production offices in there, and and we'll make the movie. And Les Kimber, famous production manager, God bless his soul, big influence on my life, uh, who was a big legend in the Alberta film industry, he was the production manager on Buffalo Bill and the Ah, Indians. So he and he uh, knew Sam Wong who run the international so they they rented these two floors we ended up somehow getting um, an uh, audition interview with Scotty Bushnell who was Robert Altman's key assistant Robert Altman okay. didn't have a casting hire a casting director he just he was an indie guy right, right. and so Scotty Bushnell, Bushnell this gal who was a great gal uh, was his uh, girl Friday, right? She did everything, sure. like a highly organized. Sure, sure. Ca- so anyway, we went down, Jack Ackroyd and I, to the International Hotel to meet Scotty. And uh, so we'd have this nice chat with her. She just chats to Jack and I, these two actors from Calgary, young guys. And she uh, seemed to like us. That was the interview. And uh, it was in the morning. And she said, what are you guys doing? And we said, well... We're in this play at Alberta Theatre Projects. It's a good story for young film people because of how things happen. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And she said, oh, that's interesting. What's the play? We tell her what the play is and audience can come. She said, oh, well, maybe I'll come and see you in the play. And we said, oh, God, that'd be great. And she said, well, thanks very much for coming in. And that was the interview. It was just her. 
Okay. And, Not an uh, audition, an interview. No, just right. an interview. And uh, so Jack and I left, and I always remember we were walking down 4th Avenue in front of the International Hotel, sunny morning, about 11 in the morning. And uh, uh, we looked at each other, and we said, what do you think? And we said, well, you know, yeah, she said she'll come and see the show, and that's the last we'll ever see yeah. her. Right, right. We'll never see her again. And right. that was kind of fun. And so we forgot about it. And at the end of our shows, our night shows at Alberta Theater Projects at the Camera Opera House, we always used to go downstairs and meet with the audience after and right. have a beer with them. Actors would. Sure. We go down one night. Who's there but Scotty Bushnell? Right. She came to the wow. show by herself. Okay. She said, you know, she said, hey, guys, how you doing? We said, great. She said, I really enjoyed the show. You guys did nice performances. I'd like you to come in and meet Bob. Wow. We said, <laughs> we said, oh, okay. So when can you come in? So I think it was a couple of days later yeah. or something. So she set up a, a meeting with Bob. And so we go back to the International Hotel, up to the 11th floor or whatever it is. And they've, by now, you guys know, it's the production, like they take all the beds out sure, of the room. Yeah, it's just yeah, a yeah. whole, sure. we're great. There's, everybody's got offices, the director, the designer, the producer. Um, and so Bob had his own office and there was couch and stuff in there. And so she said, come on in to Bob's office and have a seat in the couch and he'll be in in a bit. So um, sure enough, in comes Bob Altman, and we're big fans not only of his movies, but we knew about him, right? Right. And he, he he was a great sports fan. Jack and I were sports nuts, right? He knew a lot about NFL football, and he was he also gambled. He loved betting, right? Mm. So he'd bet on football games, and we knew all that stuff. Not that we'd researched. We just it was yeah, just people it, knew yeah. about that, right, right, right? Just like you guys would know about other directors. Yeah. And so in he comes, and he, there he is, you know, with his white goatee and very affable friend. He sits down at his desk. We're sitting in the couch, and Jack and I look quite different from each other. Jack looks like a biker. He's got this great look and really terrific actor. He could pop one of his teeth out, oh. right? So and he, a bit of a growth, so right. he could look like a biker or cool. a, a trapper sure, or, yeah. or whatever. And, and I look different than him. And I had this mustache that, that time that was, I think, fairly, I could kind of curl it and oh, amazing nice anyway so we're sitting there and scotty's <laughs> sitting with us on the couch so bob sits down this is a good casting lesson too i think i talked to you about this before scott this idea but um so bob sits down and he uh he just starts chatting to us and pretty soon we're talking about uh football and hockey nothing about Buffalo Bill and the Indians, sure. nothing about the movie. <laughs> right. Uh, and sport, baseball. And Jack and I knew what we were talking about. So if he was starting to talk about the Los Angeles Dodgers, it wasn't like we didn't, we, we knew some of the players. We'd, so right. we just were having a conversation. Right, a proper conversation. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't about anything. And that went on for about 20 minutes, 25 okay. minutes. And uh, finally he looked at her, Scotty, and he said, uh, so uh, can these two guys act? <laughs> and uh, she said, yeah, they're pretty good. And then he looked at me and he said, okay, you're the captain of the cavalry. Unreal. And Jack, you're the trapper. Unreal. And wow. uh, you'll uh, come in for wardrobe fittings in two days. <laughs> and that was, the ca- that was it. That we was your audition. Show. <laughs> and we were in the movie for uh, nine days. Wow. Like we thought we died and gone to heaven. We had, Amazing. We, had, uh, we each had lines in the Incredible. movie, oh some God. of which got cut. Right. Um, we rode out to the set every day in a bus with uh, the main supporting cast, not with Paul Newman, but Joel Gray, 
Fred, I'm trying to remember Fred's last name. He played the great big, because Buffalo Bill and the Indians was about this traveling circus that Buffalo Bill actually right, had, actually right? Oh, okay. Was Sitting Bull in the, in the, wow. in the, in the circus. And uh, that's what it was about. And okay. in our scenes where I was the captain of the cavalry and I, I led um, the troop in uh, with all the cast of characters with Sitting Bull because they'd made this deal with Sitting Bull to be in the Wild West show, Buffalo Bill's Wild West okay. show. And he was part of the show, Cowboys okay. and Indians. Right, right, right. It's all true, right? <laughs> yeah. And so uh, Jack was the trapper with furs on and I was in this military outfit. And, uh, <laughs> wow. Anyway, I, I've done all the talking here, but that's... No, that's, no, no, you're supposed that's, to. It's your, that's, it's your uh, episode. Yeah. Now I have to... I have, that, I've not I've, seen this film. Yeah, now. and it's, yeah. it's not a good movie. It's no, kind uh, of crappy. <laughs> that's too bad. Because it is too bad bad but the story is apparently it isn't the movie robert altman wanted to make and dino de laurentis put all the money into it he was the producer he had a lot of stroke right and i heard that uh you know bob did a rough cut didn't understand dino de laurentis didn't understand what he was doing with it and so he took right. it, the cut away from him wow. and then had somebody else cut it in a traditional linear yeah. way. And, you know, as you know, Altman's style wasn't linear. It was, it was all over the place and with yeah. eight track sound. He was the first sure, guy to sure. invention, invent that. And, right. and so Bob had a whole different vision, obviously. And, and so it was put together in a schlocky way, distributed by a major studio and stayed in the theaters, you know, four days or something like that. Oh, man. Oh, Never wow. see the light of day. So, that's too, that, yeah, yeah it is too bad. too bad with this great cast. I mean, Geraldine Chaplin was in the movie. Joel wow. Gray, Fred, I can't remember. The, Denver Pyle was in the movie. You know, Paul hmm. Newman was in the yeah, movie. Sure. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. Uh, that, so, yeah, that's so too bad. So you've had a taste now. Right. The film industry. Right. What was the, what was the industry? What was the size of it at that time? Like, What was it like? How, how, how did we get a Robert Altman movie up here? Uh, I don't happen? know that history other than um, I would imagine... Uh, and because I wasn't in the production side of the business at that time, I don't know how it got yeah. here. I don't even know if there were location managers at that time. Right, Les Kimber, I mean. like Les so Kimber was now. the production manager, and that was a big deal. And he he had, um, I think, uh, maybe it hadn't been. No, I don't think Superman had been done yet. No, that Do was you guys 80s. know yeah, that was late. Yeah. yeah, so I don't know how that'll happen, right. Scott. I really don't but know. There was an industry here. At the there, time. Uh, yeah, yeah, there was, but I don't know how big that was. Right. It's too bad Les isn't around now to because he'd he'd know all that history. Yeah, right. um, so I don't know that answer how it how it came to be. Or I would imagine it had a lot to do with the locations because it was all shot on the Stony Indian Reserve, right? right? Yeah, and yeah. they used that whole plain area. Right. They built a, a the whole wild Wild West ring and show there. That was all built. Um, period. Uh, and the whole movie was shot there, so that would have been a big draw. Yeah. But maybe it could have been because Les was significant production manager at the time, even though it was early in his career. He may very well have gone down to right. Los Angeles because yeah, he did that a lot yeah. and had a reputation with the studios. Sure. So, I, I, but I don't yeah. really know the answer. So, but it was enough. Your experience yeah. there, those nine days on set, was enough to be like, oh, this is amazing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah, Thr thrilling. And then uh, what happened with me is, uh, right around that time, the provincial government, much to their credit, started um, had a lot of money. It was the Peter Lougheed years, right? And they started Access Television, right, which is the public television network, similar to PBS, which sure. a lot of people don't know now, and did wonderful work for years. Um, very uh, uh, 
uh, cutting edge work, whether it was documentary, dramatic, whatever. Well, when uh, I was growing up in Edmonton, there was something called access television. Correct. I, I don't know. Did that become what it, channel? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, it did. Yeah. It, it, it probably did, yeah. but, but it was access first. Right. Is it the same a thing? Channel, was it, no, was it, a no, channel okay. was a private uh, yes, net, I get that. Private network, but access in Edmonton would have been. I think okay. at that time it might have even been connected to U of A. Uh, maybe it maybe. was. Maybe, uh, yeah, yeah. Right, maybe okay. that's how it started. Sure. And then I, I, th- I don't know. Channel Center for Alberta Channel. I don't know quite. Someone listening quite how this. the uh, history of uh, of access really got going, but I do know that during the Lougheed era, a lot of money was poured into it. So maybe it already existed, and then they said, "Let's make this really right. government funded." Right, right, right. And they established a um, studio down in Calgary. It was in the Foothills Hospital in the basement. Yes, you've told me well, about yeah. this. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. I didn't know anything about yeah, that. Not a yeah. not a That's real studio, not a purpose built studio, but it no, became but a, we, a real studio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a television studio with three cameras. We just had a 40 year reunion of oh, all really? the staff from that. Yeah, <laughs> in the Foothills Hospital. Not the reunion, right? But yeah, the, yeah, yeah. But the studio was yeah, in the Foothills Hospital in the basement. Why? Why? Produced, why? I don't know. I guess the space Maybe was there. Maybe there was space, right? Yeah. yeah, and there was offices and guys like Garth Roberts, who was one of the key people there, and. Many, many people. Randy Bradshaw, the right. yeah, famous yeah. Uh, Alberta director, cut his teeth there. Randy hired me to be in this great television series, which Doug McLeod produced and wrote uh, with Randy, uh, for Randy, uh, called Scoop. And I was Scoop. And Scoop. And Lynn Ivel, my friend <laughs> who I'd mentioned earlier, who uh, uh, went to U of C with me and was an actor. Right. And Jean-Pierre Fournier, who uh, became a... Uh, Really fine uh, actor in Canada, uh, is a famous stunt coordinator and uh, sword maker and still teaches sword cool. uh, sword fighting to this day. Huh. In fact, just did a, a show with Calgary Opera here. Uh, oh. stunts with them recently. Anyway, he was he was in Scoop. Randy I, directed it, I, and that that was we that was how we really cut our teeth because right. we did show after show making, after right. show, making content, lots stuff of it, yeah. all the time. And right. then Randy um, directed other um, dramatic stuff that was done uh, at uh, Access because he was on full time as a director. Right? Can you imagine? He's just great. Oh like, my god! Full time as a director, job, all year yeah. long, year Directing after year. Episodes, uh, yeah. Doug McLeod, you know, um, producing and writing stuff. Doug. Uh, uh, created and wrote a series called uh, A Car Owner's Maintenance Guide. Yes, you've told me about this. Yes. <laughs> which I was the host of uh, and was a cool, cool uh, show as well and uh, really, uh, really, really great and um, um, all about fixing cars, This is uh, which this I know is... nothing about. <laughs> right, of course. Hey, everyone, just want to take a quick second out of our chat with Marie to tell you about the Calgary Film Centre. It is a world-class screen-based production facility, suitably equipped and serviced so you can execute your next project with ease. At the Film Centre, they have 50,000 square feet of purpose-built sound stages and 25,000 square feet of multi-purpose warehouse and workshop spaces. All of this, of course, complemented by their anchor tenant, William F. White, who is Canada's oldest and largest provider of professional motion picture, television, digital media, and theatrical production equipment. We were able to film there for Jones, and and, uh, we had a wonderful time. They're great people, and they really are committed to... uh, helping the local film industry grow and thrive and they deliver production support for local uh, and of course national and international screen industry projects in this purpose-built venue all designed to service each individual client needs and they deliver programs to engage and support innovation and excellence in the film and television industry whether it's through a training initiative networking events or whatever it is Uh, i would totally recommend you follow along with what they're doing attend those events check out the film center and you can get started with all of this at calgaryfilmcenter.com this Absolutely is a collection enough. of people, though, that 
sort of i mean i i mean i i've met doug and randy yeah, right but but those you the three of you um that was sort of when i when i when i first started to kind of have awareness of the film industry here in calgary it was when i worked at alberta film entertainment right. and 724 right. films which had pr- been previously called El- uh, alberta film works yep. um and so which was doug and randy doug and randy in, yeah, yeah initially yeah. right okay early on yeah so uh, and we didn't. I don't. I didn't know this until we went to your David Billington Award. And for right. those who don't know, that's oh, the, I always knew this. That's sort of the Lifetime Achievement Award uh, for uh, put on by Ampia. Um, and so you, you received this great award, and there was a bit of a sort of a retrospective of your career. Right. And I had no idea you had done all this in front of the camera stuff. And right. s- and scoop is this like you were like a detective or what was the no? It was a cool idea. Or a, a journalist? Would, like yeah, a, yeah, a journalist. Yeah, yeah. It was a very cool idea. Right. Again, just showing you what. A, uh, a station like Access could, you know, um, uh, nurture something, an idea like that. Right. And it was created. Um, Doug McLeod uh, wrote and was the uh, on-site producer of all the film stuff we shot. And then we did stuff in the studio. And it started as five-minute segments only. Okay. And the idea was Scoop is a newspaper reporter who works for the Daily Global. Daily Globe. Daily, Daily Bugle. Bugle. Daily <laughs> okay. Bugle, trying to say it. And um, had this old typewriter and is an eccentric guy. Not, not an old, I was played my own age, but just had an old, you know, Underwood typewriter that you punch away at. Sure. In this fallen down kind of office. Right. And he's a journalist. And he has this show, or show, he's got this column he does for the Daily Bugle. And it's about what's going on that interesting oh. students are doing across Alberta. So... Okay. We'd open the show in the studio with Scoop, and he's got a pro. Scoop's got a problem. Ah, I can't get this stupid. You know, it's not stupid because I love this old type Underwood typewriter, but it just won't. It just isn't fast enough for me. And now I understand they've come up with these computer typewriters that go really quick. <laughs> and it makes me think of Kyle, you know, in Pincher Creek, who's they've just got a couple of these, uh, you know, computer typewriters that really work. We should find out about it. And we go, boom, to the film segment. And Doug and the film crew, Paul Burkett was the cameraman. Uh, Doug Craig was the assistant cameraman. Doug Craig is one of the big time, just retired, um, motion picture, uh, uh, first assistant cameras, and directors of photography shooting $300 million movies in Vancouver for the last 25 years. Oh, wow. He was, he was a part of the crew, okay, right? Okay. And they'd go out and shoot, you know, Kyle and Pincher Creek, and he so Scoop would be there, and I'd say if only if only I could, if only Kyle was around. Boom! <laughs> Hi, my name's Kyle Anderson from Pincher Creek, okay, grade okay. six class, and we got this brand new computer. Oh, Here's cool. how it works. <laughs> and then the students would do stuff for a minute and a half, and then we cut back to me in the studio, and we close the segment. Okay. So that grew into fifteen minute segments okay. and it was went on for I think three or four years. Wow. So wow. it was fantastic because I was getting all this experience. Right. Uh, in front of the uh, doing our own television series, yeah. Randy was directing it. It was fantastic experience, and that's what Randy and I became close friends. And Doug McLeod, and that was such an influence on my life for sure. Um, yeah. So, so when did the transition happen to behind the camera production? Stuff? Yeah, that happened because I got to know Doug McLeod through the Scoop series, and Doug McLeod and Randy had gone to uh, school together, film school together okay. in, in Montreal, and that's how Doug came out to do. Uh, this with access and then Doug started bringing in uh, major commercials because he was very entrepreneurial in okay. addition to just because he was a hired gun at access as well right. 
in, in addition to doing that, he started bringing in these big international commercials okay. to Alberta. Valentine's whiskey from uh, Europe, Suntory whiskey from England. Uh, the, the whiskey's from Jap- Japan, but it was a production company from England. Okay, doing, right. And they were looking for great places to shoot, you know, uh, commercials for whiskey, like, you know, in the middle of the mountains in the sure, winter like time with stuff. a sleigh yeah. and a horse and sure, yeah. pretty girl and all right. that stuff. So I knew Doug was doing these and he was organizing them all. He was, he was, he was coordinating them, producing them and bringing them in. Right. And so I said to him, well, I think it was when we were doing one of the shows, whether it was Carlos maintenance guide or, or scoop, I said, you know, if you ever need any help, um, organizing any of those commercials that you're doing, I'd be interested in doing that. And I said, I'll do anything. I'll make coffee or sure. it doesn't matter. I don't care. I just want to learn right. behind the scenes stuff. So he said, okay. So he hired me to do, do, and I think one of the first ones was in the winter. Might've been Valentine's whiskey. Maybe I, I can't remember. And there was this crew from England came in high level stuff, you know, helicopter, you know, it was big right. time stuff. Sure, yeah. Um, and so I started making coffee and shoveling snow and picking up, the actor from who was, I think, in a, a Hills Brothers spokesperson for Hills Brothers Coffee in the United States. They brought him in. Okay. Um, model from London, England. And I just did whatever needed to be done. Getting up at four in the morning, shoveling right. Bow, Bow Lake, actually. <laughs> Had to shovel this area oh, man. for the sleigh to drive, right? By hand, right? <laughs> oh, my God. Not the whole lake, but, <laughs> but an a, area. A portion, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was out there for, anyway, I learned. Wow. And that's how I got into production. And then Doug... Okay. Um, uh, he started location managing on bigger bigger movies that were coming in. Okay. Because Les Kimber got word of Doug and Randy, and he hired Doug to be the location manager on a movie called Finders Keepers, which was an American production starring Michael O'Keefe. Okay. It was Michael O'Keefe and Be- Beverly D'Angelo. Okay. Uh, two Hollywood yeah. uh, young stars. Yeah. The title and rings a bell. It, it uh, took place on a tra- train. Okay. And... Uh, The black, the comedian, black actor, big star, who passed away pretty early in his career. Oh, uh, um, uh, Pryor, Richard yes, Pryor. Yes, Richard Pryor was in the was movie. Was in it? Wow. Uh, I think it was that movie. I'm kind of maybe getting my movies mixed up, dating myself here now. But I think he was in that movie okay. too. Yeah, Richard Pryor, Michael Keith, Beverly D'Angelo. It took place in a train, and can't remember even what it was about—a heist or something. Anyway, Doug set up. This is the things you did in those days. He was the location manager. He made a deal with Canadian Pacific Railway to um, book this train, uh, an engine and, I don't know, four train cars, passenger cars. Right. And the whole movie wasn't shot on a train, but a lot of it was. And um, it was a, uh, how did this work now? It was a, it was a British crew, UK crew combined with an Alberta crew. So it was a combo. Yeah. And I'm sure that was the movie. Yeah, it was. And, um, Les Kimber was the production manager. Doug McLeod was the location manager. And um, Michael Steele, who came from Vancouver, was a second AD. And he was just starting his career as an AD. And I and he and Doug knew each other somehow. And Michael needed a third AD. And so he asked Doug. And Doug said, well, and Les said, well, why don't you give Murray a try or at least meet him? And so he met me and we got along well. And he said, yeah, you should be my third idea. And it was, this was a Hollywood production. Right. right? And so, and it's this, uh, I tell people the story all the time because it was such a big part of my, uh, 
introduction to the production business and training. And I'm so thankful it was on um, this um, uh, British crew-based movie because it was the British system. And uh, Richard, um, famous British director, directed all of Superman. That's how Doug got on the show. Directed Superman. Oh, okay. I don't Rich, know. Richard, oh, that's terrible. <laughs> famous movie director from England, an American who moved to England okay. and directed Superman, the both Superman movies with, um, what's his face? Uh, yeah, we can IMDb. Uh, I'm uh, that's it up right terrible. <laughs> Great guy. But I know the story you're uh, you're going Richard, for. Yeah. I don't know the story. And yeah, I, it, yeah, it, and I'm glad you're telling it. Yeah, Richard, uh, yeah, look up the name. That's awful, Richard. We'll find it, yeah. I'll Rich, get it. Directed Finders Keepers and uh, the Superman movies is what you'll find him on right. quickly. Richard Donner. Uh, no. Oh, no? No. No. He didn't direct a Superman movie, did he? Oh. Richard Donner? No. Yeah. Starring Christopher Reeve. Yeah. Really? Richard Donner. Yeah. Okay. Well, Superman 1, which shot here, was directed by Richard. Richard Lester directed Lester. Finders that's Keepers. Who, yeah. that's, that's who it is. Richard okay. Lester. So, so that's terrible. My apologies, no. Richard. He's passed away, but uh, my apologies to him. Brilliant. Anyway, he was an American okay. originally who moved to England right. early on in his career and started directing movies and became a big-time rock star director. Yeah, he did A and, Hard Day's Night, Yeah, Superman 2. Directed yeah. the Beatles movies. Yeah, yeah right. huge. Fame, huge guy. Wow. And he had an English accent, American right. who developed right, yeah. an English accent. <laughs> so the crew's English, <laughs> Richard Lester's English. He, right. And the first AD is English. Michael Steele's from Vancouver, and I'm the th- to be the third AD. Wow! And Les Kimber had rented a production office on McLeod Trail. It's still there. I think it's a World Gym now or something. But it was a warehouse right on McLeod Trail, and that was the production office. And so Michael Steele, who was the second AD, um, said, "Okay, Marie, I want you to come in and meet Dusty Simons. If you look him up, the first AD from England, from London." Dusty Simons was like the superstar of ADs on huge movies. Okay. Right. He had done Gandhi, oh, you wow. know, with right. 3,000 extras. Whoa. Uh, big time guy. And he was about five foot far, Dusty Simons. And so British crew, British system mixed with Albertans. So in I go to the production office that Les had rented on McLeod Trail. And uh, Michael Steele took me there. Uh, and we go into the coffee room because we went there to, so I could meet Dusty, right. the boss, the first AD. And Dusty was in the coffee room. We walk in and Michael says, uh, Dusty, I'd like you to, inter- to introduce you to Murray Ord, uh, who's going to be our third assistant director. Murray, this is Dusty Simons. Dusty turned to me, smiled, very polite, shook my hand. He said, Murray, pleasure to meet you. Two cream no sugar. And he, and he walked out of the coffee shop. Wow. Room, right? And uh, I immediately went to the kettle, and I started boiling coffee and made oh, him tea. Oh, I know where this is going. Right, yeah. And uh, on that entire... And then it was a great relationship because the lesson there was, coffee. would I do that? Right. And could uh, I do that? And without, you know, saying having anything. Having an ego about ego, it. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. And I did. No problem. was happy to do it. And then, but he gave me tons of, and Michael, tons of responsibility really quickly. And I did tons of things. We did everything. Richard Lester used to run from one camera setup to the other. He would run, run, and all the crew ran. The grips, the gaffers to the next setup. (laughs) And if it was on a roof, the camera crew ran, (laughs) got up in the roof, however they got up there. The grip ran, the continuity girl ran, everybody to the next set that's over there. 
run. Right. Uh, and and, uh, <laughs> and love it. get set up. And, and so I got lots of responsibility. It was a great experience. But I was so thankful for learning on the British system because it, it was a master-servant relationship, mm, right, with every, right. Mm-hmm. in every department. Right. Not, not in a yelling way or sure. polite, courteous. In a hierarchy way. But, but, but yeah. there's a hierarchy, right, yeah. and just as Britain is. And it was a great way to learn because I learned properly, right? Right, right. And I would serve amongst all the responsibility. And in those days, the second and third AD, we had, and we had lots of extras on that show right in Inglewood here where we're doing this today from Swan's uh, of Inglewood, this great pub and restaurant to get a plug in for Nadine and Marty. What a great place. Right, right behind us here, there's a park. And that's, in fact, it brought back memories when we shot your movie, Jones, and because it's right over here. And that's where we did a park scene right. on Finders Keepers. And Michael Steele and I checked in. I think we had like 125 extras. We would check in the extras uh, in, in addition to our AD duty. We checked them in in the morning, signed them in on their actor. Uh, the uh, paperwork, yeah. The, the time card, work, yeah. Time cards. And signed them out at the end of the day and pay them. Oh, really? Right there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well. Pay them as well. Um, I think that's how it was done, if I remember correctly. Right. But it was a great experience. And and throughout all that, I would, uh, in addition to all the stuff we did as ADs, I would uh, serve Richard Lester and Dusty Simons on the set tea, their tea, in China cup and saucer every day. <laughs> Uh, on set. Whenever, on set, yeah. <laughs> Not craft services. No, no. Murray. Proper. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, uh, I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Where did Very the cup much and saucer work. come from? Uh, I don't know. They, uh, they, they brought it? Yeah. They didn't bring it, I don't think, yeah. but it was provided. It was expected. Right, right, right. And that was one of my jobs, and it wow. was not a problem. Yeah. Huh. It was great. And the, the great story, to just to show you how well I was treated, was Les Kimber, and God bless him because he was a great friend and was a big influence on my career and had, hired me a lot and big influence on the entire Alberta industry. Les also was known for he could squeeze, uh, you know, a dollar out of a nickel, right? Right, right. As a production manager. And he was really good at it, right? Mm. And he, he was street smart and I, I loved working with him, learned a ton from him. And, and so when we started that movie... <laughs> Doug McLeod was location manager, and there was uh, some scenes in the movie that took place in a small apartment. And Doug had rented off Kensington Road. The, the building is still there. Uh, right off, you could walk in off the sidewalk, an apartment. And they pre-dressed it before we started shooting the movie as cover set, right? So they could right. go to And Doug sure. got it at a good deal, I guess. So he just rented it for the entire run of the movie, even though it was only going to use, be used for two days. Right. So we could go to it if we had to. And Les, I lived in Canmore at the time, and Michael Steele was from Vancouver. And so Les said, well, you boys can, the uh, two of you can Bunk stay, up in the, yeah. stay in the set. <laughs> and Les didn't have to pay for a hotel oh, room, amazing. right? Amazing. Or Padilla. Of course, we wanted the job, and we were so We said, yeah. hey, no problem. It was a nice place. It wasn't like we sure, were, sure, had sure. to sleep in the same bedroom or yeah, anything, yeah. but it was fine. We didn't care, right? Because right, right. we were working... 16 hours a day, right? Yeah, yeah. then and you don't so, have to drive home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. so we stayed there. Well, <laughs> one day, they still hadn't used it to film in, and Richard Lester brought some of the heads of departments uh, to that set to look at it, to see how it was dressed. And and he saw suitcases there from <laughs> Michaels, Steele, and Murray Ord. He didn't know they were ours, and he goes, is somebody, like, living here or something? <laughs> and... and <laughs> And somebody said, "Well, yeah, that's where Michael and and Murray. That's where they 
They live at night. <laughs> and Richard Lester goes, well, pardon me. <laughs> and they said, well, that's where Les has them. That's stay. Amazing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Richard Lester didn't say anything, I guess. He immediately went to Les Kimber and he said, Les. You got to yeah. put the boys up because he liked he's put them up in the international hotel where everybody else <laughs> and Les I don't think apologized or anything. He said, oh, okay, he'd already saved a month uh, and a half. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Two rooms. So there's a the last day. Yeah. <laughs> so you brought you brought up swans and yeah. uh, I I I just want to mention for the listeners if in case you're hearing a little bit of traffic, a little bit of music, um, we are. Uh, recording live here at Swans, which is a location you found us yeah. for Jonesen, and you and you've helped us with the locations for both in Plainview and yeah. Jonesen. Um, so, so how did the location side of your career? You, you seem to have run the gamut of yeah. different op- opportunities, but we haven't even talked about locations yet, no, and, and it's been a big part of your career. Yeah, a big part of my career, which I loved, and that's what I really gravitated towards because I saw quickly, and then after that AD experience, I stayed in Vancouver, and I was a second AD on. Uh, uh, popular TV series called Danger Bay. And so I had a, you know, I could have continued on in the AD front, but um, I liked it. I didn't like being a second AD that much because it's paperwork, paperwork, mm-hmm. and I hate right. paperwork. Right. And I, I didn't want to do that. And right, yeah. really to be a good second, that's that's your job. <laughs> For right? sure. I'm For seeing sure. I'm seeing the, the younger Murray Orr not going to school because he, exactly. he that yeah. stuff yeah. specifically. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And you and you know a second AD has got to do the paperwork, right? And or however and so I used to hive it. I had a good third on Danger Bay and so she did all the paperwork. <laughs> and and so they would have hired me back, but I didn't re- and that and Grace Gilroy a very um uh established and wonderful production manager to this day still in the film industry started in Albert, started in Edmonton actually with RV Limatinen and Bart Grace right uh, and Pete uh, I remember Pete's last name. they start, had a company called Kicking Horse Productions okay. which RV was, also uh, uh, RV Limatinen yeah, yeah uh, big reci- influence on my yeah and a recipient of the of the David yeah, Bellington sure. award as well again bless his soul passed, passed away, away. Yeah. Uh, so he was he and I knew each other and worked on lots of great stuff together anyway Grace um Moved out to Vancouver and then is, does a ton of American uh, work as a producer and production manager. She uh, landed a movie as the production manager called A Letter to Three Wives, starring Lonnie Anderson, Stephanie Zimbalist, and Michelle. I can't remember Michelle's last name. Ben Gazzara was in the movie, and she needed a location manager. She hired me, uh, and I think I had been started doing some locations here I can't remember how that all happened. I anyway I became the location manager on Letter to Three Wives, to take over from Hagen Beggs, who had scouted the movie and didn't he had something else, <clears throat> and I did that and did a, it went really well, and that's how I really got into bigger productions as a location manager. And then I moved back to Alberta, and started doing that here, and uh, that's how I got into location manager. And I really liked it, and it suits suited suits me a lot better. It, it's it, there's a whole bunch of organization that has to happen, which right. I love, and pre-planning. Right. Uh, but it's also a people business. Yeah. So, uh, so why move back to Alberta? Uh, move back to Alberta just because I I was living in Vancouver and really liked it a lot and was doing well and and uh, uh, had you know d- went on to do other series there, Mum P.I., Chris Haddock series, starring Stuart Margolin and. Uh, but I, at that time I lived in Alberta, but th- I, I lived in Vancouver for, um, 
I think a five year period. I know oh, I know wow. it really well. And I did a lot of location work yeah. there and A D work there. But I just never felt at home, Scott, right. there. Um and so I I uh, decided to move back to Alberta and uh at that time Doug and Randy um were starting uh the T V series North of Sixty. Ah, right. yes. And uh or kind of around then, not maybe exactly that time. Anyway, I came back here, uh and uh, I don't know if North of 60 had started then or not. Maybe it hadn't. What did you do on it? Because I'm just looking. I didn't. I helped them. Uh, I helped them set up the set for North of 60 oh, okay. and find the t- the space for the town in Bragg Creek and then build that town. So okay. it was just a, in the woods, right? Right. And uh, still but, there. Yeah, still there. And uh, but to kind of go back a bit, somehow I came back to Calgary, worked on, I think it was the Swedish production that Doug and Randy had, I think, with a Swedish company, and it was called, I can't remember the name of it, it was an obscure film with a Czechoslovakian director who was, who the was fourth a, war? Bit, a bit crazy, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just crazy. This uh, is amazing, the, yeah. Was it the fourth war? No, no, that's Frank John Frankenheimer. Okay. Uh, no, it was well before that. Okay. Uh, Swedish, I can't remember the name. Fire of with Fire? No, no, no. It was uh, it was a smaller production. Some nice people, and I think that was the time that uh, Doug. Yeah, it was. I needed an assistant, right? And uh, an, an ALM, an assistant location manager. And Doug McLeod had met Tom Cox, Tom Dent Cox at the time, right? Um, and thought he was a promising, interesting guy who it was an indie filmmaker like right. you guys, right? Had never worked on bigger productions before. And uh, Doug uh, wanted me to meet Tom to be my assistant because Tom was looking, he had a young family and he was looking for something a little more stable that maybe could bring in a little more income. Sure. And he was still doing his indie productions. And um, so he, uh, Doug asked me to meet Tom and I said, sure, I'll meet him. And so Tom came to meet me, and Tom at that time was an indie filmmaker, but he was he was still kind of in his hippie uh, phase. Yes, and, yes. Um, you know, uh, Birkenstocks and yeah, Chevy sure. socks, and so I anyway, were, Tom. This must have been Airwolf. No, no, it was, no, it was way before oh, that. Okay, Airwolf, right. we shot in Vancouver, uh, huh. and so it was just before. Airwolf. IMDb is not always the most reliable. Bef- just before Airwolf. Okay. Uh, and so Doug asked me to meet Tom Dencox. So I said, sure, I'll meet him. So in he comes, and he, he did his best. He wore a sports coat and his corduroy pants and uh, his uh, uh, Birkenstocks, I think, and uh, socks. And so we had a nice visit and chat, and it was all very pleasant. And uh, afterwards, Tom went away, and Doug said, so what do you think? Because Doug was really high on hiring Tom. And I said, Doug, I said, I ain't, I'm not, I ain't hearing that guy. So <laughs> I, I said, he's a nice guy and everything, but he, he's comes from this, you know, hippie kind of world. He, I, see, I said, he's wearing fucking, he's wearing fucking Birkenstocks with, with socks. I said, I'm not, that's, that ain't going to happen. Uh, and Doug said, oh, come on. He, he's, he's good. He's going to be really good. I said, okay. So he talked me into it. All right. And so t- Tom and I did the show, which I still can't remember the name of. And um, it was it was it turned out to be great relationship. He was terrific, right. uh, uh, clearly highly organized, mm-hmm. good with people, uh, thought ahead, anticipated, and so uh, after that, 
Uh, and on that movie, um, talking, I was telling you guys about goats and parties right. earlier right, on. Yeah. Um, that Czechoslovakian director, wherever he was from, um, he, because uh, he was kind of all over the map, right? And we had a scene across the street from the Palliser Hotel in front of what was then the Four Seasons, which is now the Marriott Hotel, yeah. downtown of Ninth okay, Avenue. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a scene in the morning where John Scott uh, had a horse and was had to ride the horse down uh, the street or something. Uh, and this Czechoslovakian director, Jan Nimish, I think, Nemitz or something like something like that. Well, Jan Nimish or Jan. You did maybe an episode Swedish. of Disneyland, a Disneyland TV no, series. No, And then so, Fire with Fire and no, then a letter to three. That, yeah. So it's not on here. No. Oh, right. um, this director, uh, well, two things he did. We had a scene that was near the International Hotel, which was a different day, and he ended up sitting on the curb and spitting at <laughs> cars that were going by. <laughs> that was one indication. And then and then another scene in front of the Mer- uh, the Four Seasons Hotel where he tied two goats to, had John Scott tie two goats to a, a sapling that was just been planted by City Parks <laughs> on Center Street. I'm not sure why they were there, but anyway. <laughs> see, goats are, uh, goats, goats, yeah. goats are kind it's of a theme. A, yeah. It's a theme and sort of, a, I think there's maybe something there. What about Legends of the Fall? I, I just want to jump yeah. to that just because that's such a big one. Yeah, for sure. How was that? What was that Fantastic like? Fantastic experience. Yeah. What was really cool, Matt, is um, just this year in the Calgary International Film Festival yeah. at the opening gala, um, Ed Zwick, the director of Legends of the Fall, was at the opening gallery. Oh, really? He was scouting yeah. for a movie. Yeah. And I had such a great time working with Ed had never and uh, on Legends of the Fall. He was the director and, you know, nominated for that movie. He was nominated for three oh, yeah. Academy Awards. And he was a young up-and-coming director at the time. Has certainly had a reputation, but uh, got given this great movie um, and uh, by uh, the studio. And uh, that was just a fantastic experience. So... Ed Zwick, Pat Crowley, who's gone on to be a big-time Hollywood producer, Lily Kilvert, the production designer, big-time Hollywood designer, um, and um, John... Um, um, I'll get John's name in a minute. You don't have to, the you director don't have to name everyone. No, the director of photography, who won an Academy Award oh, for that okay, movie. Oh, wow. Uh, John... Uh, oh, that's awful. Uh, uh, I can... Big-time uh, big time, uh, uh, cinematographer. Um, John Deacons. No, no. <laughs> anyway, uh, wonderful experience, and they were great to work with, and um, just Toll. we just really te- yeah, exactly. John Toll. Yeah. John Toll. Yeah. Um, we uh, just a great experience, and that was a big project. You know, like we created the those uh, uh, World War you know one uh, battlefields on. Um, Terry Giles Ranch, which is a ranch I found just outside of Calgary. And that was a great experience as a location manager to set that up. And we found this property that was going to work good. It was a quarter section. I found the ranch family that owned it, Terry Giles, um, and uh, said we want to shoot this movie. They'd never been around a movie before. But he was a rancher, and I come from Saskatchewan, so I get oh, yeah, ranchers, yeah. right? And right. understand that. And, and so... Uh, Ed said, and Lily, uh, yeah, that's where we want to build the battlefield. And we were going to want to dig up that entire quarter section, like dig it up and right. put trenches there wow, and wow. blow it up. And so 
Way you go, Murray. Can you set <laughs> that up? Yeah. So I met with Terry. I remember, I think it was at the airport or in or the uh, Port of Call or a hotel sure. up there in the north by the airport. And uh, it was very, it was very cool because it was a negotiation that happened on the uh, uh, restaurant table, right? right on, on, a, a on a napkin. Yeah. Right, right. And uh, <laughs> so I told Terry what we want to do. I right. just was up front with him, told him everything. Didn't try to, you know, soft pedal it. I said, it's a big deal. It's going to require all this. Uh, and he said, well, I think we can pull that off probably and make that happen. And uh, I said, you know, can we, uh, you know, we're going to have to, uh, you know, what you own the property, but do we need to do anything with the municipality? Because mm, sure. mm -hmm. it's a big deal. He said, well, sure. you know, I I know the... Uh, the MLA from that neighborhood, he's a good friend of ours, so we can talk. And then we got down to talking money, right? And uh, Terry wrote out uh, on the napkin, you know, what he thought that would be. Because I said, we're going to be there. It's probably two months overall by the time we prep sure, it get and, and dig get it and, yeah, ready yeah. and build it. And, uh, and uh, so uh, he wrote a number down in this napkin, and I said, well, it kind of seems it wasn't cheap. It wasn't over the top. Right. And then I took it back to Pat Crowley, the producer, and the production manager, John, and Eckerd, and and we felt that was fair, and we made a deal. And then what we did, which was also worked so well and was so smart, Jan, Jan Kabilka was the construction coordinator from Vancouver, really excellent um, con construction coordinator, Czechoslovakian by by birth, but lived in Vancouver, works, does tons of movies, Hollywood movies. And he was our construction coordinator and a great guy. And he and I got along well. And so he and I kind of teamed up and Jan had to build this battlefield. And, uh, so we hired a, um, guy who had a, uh, construction equipment from North of kind of around Edmonton. Um, because we, I can't remember how we got his name, to kind of level the area, but we also had to do a lot of other work, right? Like with heavy, with equipment, with with front end loaders, with sure, yeah, tractors. Yeah. And so we said, wow. we'll hire you know Terry and his sons who were adults. Right, right. They had all the best of the best farming equipment. Right. So we hired them to be part of the construction nice, team. Nice. Yeah, they and buy they were, into they it. Were, yeah. They were great and paid them, of course, yeah, to yeah, do yeah. it. But they were like there, like just like you know, like they. If Jan needed them to be digging holes at three in the morning, no yeah. problem. Get, get, <laughs> yeah, they're farm boys. Get her done. <laughs> yeah. And it'd be all and they took such interest and then they watched the whole filming. It was a wonderful nice, experience. Nice. And still friends with the Giles family. Terry's hmm. Since passed away, I uh, no, I think he might be in a home st still. I'm not sure, but I should go visit him actually because he's a great guy. What's uh, your What's your biggest the biggest secret to getting a great location or finding a great location or what's the most important thing to do for just a piece of you know utility information for the audience if they're if you're going to get a location if you're looking for one what's what's your best tip? Uh, getting to know the people uh, that own the location. Or I knew you would it. say that. Did you? <laughs> I did, did because you? because yeah. it is very important, yeah. and you take very good care to make sure yeah, you maintain the relationship. It's yeah. really important, and and that's a mistake that some young people make. Yeah. I'm not just talking about location managers, but people in our industry. They mm -hmm. don't understand that as much. Yeah, it's not. Uh, in fact, I have a friend, good friend, who's got a very successful uh, land company in the oil and gas industry. It's called Ranger Land. His name's Brad Goodfellow. He's from Saskatchewan. In fact, he's one of the. They're one of the families that. Rider one of the rider families. Oh yeah, yeah. Get together. <laughs> and I've mentioned this to Brad a few 
weeks ago because I, I think I happened to be talking about when we were filming Jones and, and how it was making me a little crazy. <laughs> Not the location side of it, but just the back and forth email yeah. Uh, yeah. exchanges, yeah. which I find slows the process down right. as opposed to when I work right. less. I mean, you phone less. Here's the deal. Here's what we're doing. We want to close Ninth Avenue. We want right. to get in this property. What's it going to cost, Murray? It's going to cost this much. How many days prep? Uh, yes or and let's go. Yes or no. Right. Done. We're right. done. Right. There's no further discussion. Right. There's no nothing. <laughs> uh, it's done. Right. And that's how and fast, right? Like sure. that. So um, that made me crazy. So I happened to be mentioning this to, to Brad, and then I we got onto a conversation about. Um, uh, I said it's like I, I think there's a kind of a missing link with a lot of young people in the film industry now because they don't, and even location managers nowadays. And I'm not being critical because there's of lots course, of great yeah. ones you know dennis penny and jason nolan and all the guys but but it's some it's times as easy to forget the personal relationship with the owner of the property this is true it's and and brad so i was telling this to brad my friend who owns ranger land and what land men and women do if you don't know they need to it's the same as being a location manager kind of they need to get permission that the geologists say we want to drill right permission to drill on the quarter section southwest of the sixth meridian in you know here and it's out in the middle of nowhere by sure. vermilion sure so the landman or woman has to go find out that rancher who owns it and go knock on their door right. and get permission to do that and there's lots of stuff you got to go negotiate. through negotiate well, it's, it. yeah. it's an education every yeah, time totally, to, totally. to let them know what to expect totally. when this and film Brad crew had in, a, right. my friend who owns Ranger Land said yeah I know exactly what you're talking about Murray because he's been in the land business a long time he says what I tell all the young guys and girl gals in the industry because he was president of the, the Canadian Landman's Association he says what I tell them all is whatever you do don't bring the paper out as soon as you walk in right. the room. Because <laughs> right away, the rancher's going to go, No. Yeah. No. Right. Yeah. Don't talk about, you probably might spend, I said, exactly, Brad, exactly. I said, you three and a half hours and you're not talking about it. You're talking about right. cat, And you're not, it's not superficial. Mm -hmm. You got to know about cattle. Yeah. You see, you saw, um, uh, he's got a dirt bike out back, you know, right. you got to know about dirt. Who rides the dirt bike? Yeah. Jerry. Oh, my son, oh, really? Well, you know, I know something about, didn't they chat about dirt right. for three hours, right, maybe right. four hours? Yeah, yeah. It's you funny. Know, yeah. You can't rush because totally. as soon as you do, the owner gets, oh, they're all they want to do is get a deal. Straight they to business, yeah. They want to screw yeah, me, yeah. you know? They want to screw right. me. Or, oh, yeah, this <laughs> yeah. is what they're here for, really. Yeah, yeah. And it's And it's funny, you were talking about Robert Altman right. in sports earlier, right. and, and you were also advising us when we had some meetings in L.A. Right. Um, we had, we had a, an incredible meeting really? uh, in LA that was that was probably yeah an hour of sports conversation. <laughs> Scott and I are not the biggest sports really? people, no, no. But Kevin Dory is, yeah. and so he was he was helpful he to carry have, the, yeah, yeah. the mail. And it was yeah, it's all about creating rapport yeah. and just who was it with? Let me know who you are. Who was who uh, I don't know if I should with? say, but okay, but a, a distributor. was it a producer? Or dri oh, a distributor. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but they knew sports. Oh yeah, yeah, majorly. Yeah, coming wearing a, a hat for a they, team, and so well, they'd be happy that Kevin started. was there. Oh yeah, for sure. We were happy that Kevin. Yes, we certainly were. We certainly were. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. He could, he could, anyway, that's yeah. the that's the main thing. Yeah, and, for sure. And also follow up too, mm -hmm. not just you know taking your time and getting to meet them and being genuine while we're filming, but afterwards, how do you follow up with them? Not right. just to make sure everything's okay, and it's, but keep yeah. a relationship, right? Or I, I don't mean you got to be going back there every month and visiting with them, or no, but but but, but a relationship that's an honest one, not sure. a. 
not a uh, just we got your place right and we're done you know it's one of those things that having a location manager is you know a lot of producers will just take that on and add that to their list yeah. of millions yeah. of things but you're not going to do any follow-up you're, right. you're completely overloaded no, you're focused on yeah. your movie yeah. yeah you've got especially in the indie world that you guys do you're focused on you, you and rightly so mm-hmm. you've got you you actually use 24 hours of the day for Three sure. w- three weeks to shoot your movie, and For you sure. have no time yeah, right. to do anything. I yeah. mean, you guys have been great. I mean, even you always take the time when I introduce you to the owners. But you know, I don't expect you. You can only have a couple minutes because you've got a the cameraman wants to know yeah. where you're setting I, up. I, or, I mean, I remember the doing? the flower shop. I don't know how many yeah. hours. How how many hours Bruce. were we in the flower flower yeah. shop for? Maybe three. Yeah, and it White was floors. it was a smaller piece of a bigger day, and yeah. it, and it was right in the middle of the shoot, and it was like just bonkers yeah. for for me, and yeah. I and I couldn't be there as much as I wanted yeah. to be. Uh, but it, but like you you were you were the you were yeah. our our yeah. advocate. You were our sort yeah, of uh, that's um, right. What's a good word? Um, ambassador. A- yeah, advocate yeah. is good. Ambassador yeah, absolutely. Is good. Ambassador yeah, yeah, is good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think I had. And to I knew l- that I knew that location. I didn't need to be there yeah, to make sure no, that it was no. managed properly. I actually and taken had to care. leave early that day too, but it all went well. They had a great experience. Yeah. By the way, it did. Yeah, we I took a photo with you guys. Them. <laughs> yeah. and Bruce. And I bought fact, flowers. Did you? Yeah, did you? Oh, cool. Did you give them to your wife? Sure did. Good. Good. That's also important too. Important to make sure. Yeah. There's hills to die on. Yeah, that's not one. Not one of them. No. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, Bruce had a great time and his staff. I went back there later and that's another thing I used uh, to do. And, um, actually I'd like to talk to you guys about it on this movie on Jones and because I know that, that, uh, uh, I believe Seth and probably you guys did take some photos at certain times. Oh, yeah, if, yeah. if yep. we can get some, uh, uh, stills, just even autograph from a couple of you. It's a nice thing for me oh, to do to bring idea. back oh, okay, to. Cool. Uh, thanks, Nadina at Swans right. for wow, and Marty yeah, yeah. for. And I used to do that. I used to frame them yeah. on the movies and I'd pat the Palliser Hotel and take them. Oh, away. I love that People idea. People love yeah. that kind of and thing. put them up, yeah. In, in a real way, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You Absolutely. appreciate it. That's, yeah. that's awesome. Well, and yeah. that's, it speaks to when you know Nick and I were running around the city shooting pickup shots afterwards. Right. And we wanted a flower shop, and we thought, why not just shoot, right? You know, White's flowers, and yeah. I, so I walk in and I say, "Hey, you know, I'm looking for Bruce. He's not here right now." Oh, I'm Scott. You know, we're making yeah, a movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we know all about you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think part of that is because of that follow up, right? right. Just because yeah. of that relationship that you've built, that yeah. it was easy for us to get a quick yes. Can we, just, you know, stand across yeah. the street and yeah. on the outside? Yeah, no yeah. They were they yeah. they were great. White and Bruce actually said to me, "It was that way after you'd been there because I went back." Uh, he said, oh, we really loved watching, because they really loved watching the process. They were interested, right. right? Yeah, they seemed to. And I said, it's it's quite, in some ways, like the military, right? I'm making mm-hmm. a movie. And he said, yeah. He said, I get that. He said, uh, he, like he saw all the structure in the different departments, like, you know, you know, Nick would say to certain people, I need this yeah, or move yeah. that there, put that there. Uh, and it just happened. And uh, he said at one point, uh, I can't remember what it was, they wanted to either adjust a light or turn something off or get something. And Bruce happened to say to one of the people in the department, it must've been the lighting department. Um, well, you know, I can, if you want, you can plug that there or move that over there. It was something, it was kind of a different direction that made sense to what the crew member had been told to do. Right, right, right. And he said, the crew member said, Oh yeah, that's a good idea. And then he said, I better not. I better do what I've been told. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and and Bruce uh, picked up on that. Like right, he got right, that right. right. Like, yeah, sounds like quite Sean. like that. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 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 All right. 
so uh, that's as, probably a good, as good a spot to stop as any. <laughs> <laughs> as you can tell, Murray is uh, uh, a, a great storyteller, and um, and he has a lot of them. Yeah, for sure, for sure, and and you know what a what a life, what a career, and uh, looking forward to hearing uh, more of it next week. Um, and thanks as always uh, to our guest Murray um, for joining us. And uh, let's jump right into the news you can use. Brought to you by Bleeding Art Industries this week. Uh, as always, Bleeding Art provides a tip uh, for filmmakers such as yourself listening to this program. And uh, this week is no different. Uh, it's all about the soft skills uh, when filmmaking. Being good at your job is one requirement, but how you interact with others requires a whole other set of skills. Being on set or in a pressure cooker prep period, people sometimes forget they're dealing with other human beings. Lack of sleep, lack of resources, egos, miscommunication, politics, lack of direction, broken equipment, changing scripts, all sorts of situations can arise when it comes to filmmaking. Making a film offers up a perfect petri dish of human behavior. One would do well to adhere to some simple tenets of how to treat others and handle oneself. No matter what has happened, don't scream at or belittle others. Don't gossip about others. Keep calm and take deep breaths. Be kind, be patient, speak clearly and concisely. Treat others how you want to be treated. And finally, keep things in perspective. This is a film being made, not the planet being saved. Um, I'm surprised they haven't uh, sent this tip over sooner because this is so important. Um, you know, we all get we all get sort of the blinders on, I think. And, and uh, it's important to remember that... Um, you know, we're all going to be, you know, over this film, uh, you know, producers less so, as we mentioned. Uh, but but many of the crew will be moving on to new things, you know, uh, maybe even a couple of days after production. So uh, it's yeah, it's important to remember that not to take things too, too seriously um, and uh, not get in your head about some of those, uh, you know, angry things. It's, it's frustrating to hear when the people, uh, still yell on set, uh, at, at each other in this day and age. Um, but it does happen. Yeah. I, I agree with all of that. Um, I have nothing else to add that would add value to it. So let's, uh, just be nice. Just be, yeah, just don't be a dick, you know? Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. That's all right. they, you know, it's the thing they drill into you at SAID is attitude is everything. And, uh, that's what I've been trying to tell all these state applicants who are reaching out to us to fill out their questionnaires. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So there's a lot of deadlines that are coming up very, very quickly, as in within the next like two or three days here. Okay. Uh, the uh, the TIFF CBC Films Screenwriter Award uh, is an award that will provide 15000 to a Canadian writer of an outstanding feature film screenplay. Um, it's open to experienced screenwriters who are female or indigenous or who belong to a visible minority or identify with a disability. Um, the link to this is in the show notes. Uh, the application has been open since November, but it closes December 5th, which is right now, basically. So if you're, uh, if you're within one of those uh, demographics and uh, you have a script that you think could merit a $15,000 award to develop further, uh, we highly recommend you check it out, tiff.net, and look for it uh, there. It's called the TIFF CBC Films Screenwriter Award. Uh, so uh, this is, uh, this next item is called, uh, the government of Canada export funding, uh, which, uh, Canadian heritage is seeking applications for the latest round of creative export Canada funding. Um, so I, when I first, at first glance, I thought this was like, okay, so if you have a finished film, um, or, uh, you know, a piece of interactive digital media, uh, then you can, you know, apply for some funding to take it, uh, to wherever, you know, right. traditionally people would go to, like you did Berlin, for example. 
Um, but it, it looks like this is actually sort of for projects that uh, haven't yet started. Um, am I yeah. right about that? Yeah, you know, totally. I think it's a little bit nebulous in just the sense that the expenses have to start after yeah. on 2019. So right. I, I would argue that you could, if you're undergoing your marketing activities after April, you know, that would be an opportunity to 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 pay for those marketing activities. But yeah, you're totally right. If you you know, it's potentially an opportunity to consider a film as a project for export, which they are, right. and uh, you know, make it there with that money. Cool. Well, you can check out the link in the show notes for more information on that. And, uh, uh, yeah, take a, take a trip. I, I mean, I, it's something I never really thought about. I remember hearing first hearing about that, um, and thinking like, you know, that's, that's actually really cool that the government, uh, offers something like that because that's our, that's our whole goal is to actually get the film seen and made after the fact. And yeah, absolutely. there's actually support just for that part of it. So for sure. So the NSI Online Short Film Festival, the deadline for submission is coming up December 7th, um, but submissions are now open, uh, accepted exclusively through Film Freeway until December 7th. Films that meet award criteria are eligible for the $1,250 a Short Filmmakers Award for Best Film. Entries must be under 30 minutes. The shorter, the better. Hint, hint. Drama, comedy, animation, documentary, sci-fi, horror, music video, and experimental are all eligible but must be made by a Canadian writer director or producer and they can be released anywhere uh, after january 1st 2013 so that's this is a really great way to find kind of a second life for a short film that you may have done a couple of years ago and you can find yeah. out the link to uh, to that in the show notes uh, yeah that's so apply and submit for that uh, this one's coming up a lot, uh, but the deadline is coming, uh, approaching quite quickly. Uh, I, I, I guess Alberta sort of surprised everyone not too long ago and said, hey, January is going to be the month of the artist in Alberta. And as such, we are doing a uh, an artist in residence program um, valued at up to, well, not valued at, but I guess uh, up to $75,000 is available for Alberta's artist in residence, the first ever artist, Alberta artist in residence. Um this has always been a little bit odd to me. I'm not sure where you're residing. If you have a home in Alberta, you're probably already an artist in residence in Alberta. But um, this is a more it's about traveling to like other, basically anywhere else. Oh, right, that's true. I did hear about it. Yeah, so you so you would kind of tour the province a little bit um, and uh, teach and and uh, run workshops or something like that. Yeah, so, and kind of, yeah, demonstrate the value of art um, to right. the other people. Yeah. So the deadline to apply is uh, December 10th uh, at midnight, uh, just before midnight, I should say, 11.59. And you can apply uh, at the the link in the show notes uh, or through the Alberta Foundation for the Arts. Uh, If you are an Aboriginal filmmaker or you have one in your life that could use a professional demo or sizzle reel to help a project that they have in development, we would strongly recommend paying attention because submissions are now open for the Gil Cardinal Legacy Fund. And the deadline for this is coming up December 14th. And the grant uh, of the fund is, in, is valued at $2,500, will be awarded to a filmmaker developing a feature film, short film, documentary, web, mobile, or television project. Uh, you have to be an Aboriginal producer or director who has resided in Alberta for the past two years. This is all kind of uh, facilitated through Ampia, and you can find out uh, more about this fund on Ampia's website, ampia.org, or click on the link in the show notes. Uh, so FAVA, we've mentioned this before as well, is, is holding their POV scholarship. Uh, this is, uh, for uh, folks who have talents that go unre- uh, or, uh, unrecognized or underutilized, 
um, barriers, uh, people with barriers including uh, socioeconomic status, ethnicity, gender, age, na uh, national origin, disability, sexual orientation, uh, education, and religion, um, and uh, you know things that sometimes keep people from participating and uh, in, in contributing to the arts. Well, this is uh, a free one-year FAVA membership, uh, tuition for one of FAVA's media arts programs. Um, and, uh, that, you know, that's part of this, uh, this POV scholarship. So, um, kind of gaining access to, uh, to some of the FAVA offerings, um, and those, uh, those programs uh, that you can attend our intro to screenwriting, uh, the FAVA main course program, uh, where you make a, make a film, uh, as well as the video kitchen, uh, where you also make a film, but more for, uh, geared for beginners. Um, so the deadline to apply, uh, is, well, so this is, uh, yeah, I think I stumbled on this last time too. Um, so you, so you actually apply based on which of those programs you're applying for. So January 19th, uh, is intro to screenwriting. Um, January 25th, uh, 2019 is uh, main course, and the 25th of 2019 as well is also video kitchen. So uh, check out the link in the show notes. Uh, that'll take you to the form where you can uh, submit. Okay, let's get into some events coming up. Uh, right away here on December 5th is the 5th annual ACAD Film Festival. So it's a screening showcasing various short films and animations created by ACAD students, staff, and alumni. Doors are at 6.30. This is all at the Globe Cinema, downtown Calgary. It is free admission, and it's a two-hour screening of all those projects. Super fun. That's cool. Uh, yeah, nice. and popcorn and beverages will be available at the Globe Cinema Bar. Man, I miss popcorn. I haven't had some in a while. <laughs> uh, so uh, another event coming up uh, is uh, called an, in an Intimate Evening with April Mullen, um, and this is uh, being put on by CSIF and Herland. Um, with director April Mullen. Uh, she'll be sharing her journey from humble beginnings to self-generated independent films all the way to directing award-winning feature films like Below Her Mouth uh, and hits on television like Lethal Weapon, The 100, and Calgary's own Winona Earp. Uh, this event is made possible thanks to the Status of Women Community Grant uh, and doors open at 6.30, snacks, pop, and water are complimentary, and there's a cash bar. Um, this is happening at the commons Calgary, which is a cool place for an event. We haven't, uh, I haven't been there in a while. Um, but, uh, of course the, the first sort of incarnation of social West happened there and, uh, it's a really cool space. Um, so check out the uh, link in the show notes, uh, for more information on, uh, how you can attend that. Did is I see the date? Um, I don't think I did. Did I? Cause I'm not um, seeing it. Let's find out real quick. Hold, please. Is it not on there? No, it's not on here. It's weird. The date is uh, December 8th, so coming right up uh, this coming Saturday, 6.30 to 9 p.m. Also, this coming Saturday is a screening in Calgary about the Bob Probert documentary. We all know NHL legend Bob Probert, right, Matt? Of course. Yes, of course. Um, I love sports, <laughs> and I know this guy. Um, hey, I'm getting into sports lately, dude. Like, what? I, oh yeah, I remember I went to that Oilers game. Oh, they, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I've been uh, like, yeah, it's weird. It's, uh, it's, it's. I was like, hey, I wonder when the last time Connor McDavid scored a hat trick was, and I like looked it up. It was, and it was like in February, and I was like, I want to watch all the highlights for that. It's weird. It's, it's, it's like anything. It's like anything, man. It's like it's like <laughs> binging on a series. You know, it's. Yeah. It's like any season of television. It's dramatic and there's characters and for sure, for it's sure, just, sure. uh, it's just not something that I've ever really, you know, my whole family's not really into sports. 
too much. But there are a lot of people in the film industry who are. And these filmmakers specifically, Jordy Day and guests, um, I've actually been seeing this quite a lot on Facebook, toughguymovie.com. Yeah. Uh, this is a documentary uh, about the life and death of NHL legend Bob Probert. And it's happening in Calgary on December 8th at 6.30 p.m. at the Plaza Theater. Um, it's it's super cool. Super Channel helped make this uh, film and it will make its broadcast premiere on Friday. So they're kind of timing this premiere with the broadcast, which is very smart. And it's narrated by the man himself, which is very interesting considering he has passed away. Um, and uh, yeah, kind of a unique uh, way of doing that. And I guess he was working on a memoir. And so there were recordings and they used uh, recordings of, of that memoir to uh, to act as the voiceover of the film, which is very interesting. Super cool. Yeah, absolutely. So if you can't make the premiere, this is going to be broadcast on Friday, December 14th at 7 p.m. on Super Channel Fuse. And it'll be available on Super Channel On Demand from December 15th to May 31st, 2020. So that's another way to kind of check this documentary out if you're interested. Very quickly, sir, I have uh, events happening tomorrow, December 5th, as we record this, and also December 6th. If you're in Fort McMurray tomorrow, December 5th, is an opportunity to attend one of the free Story Hive seminars with people from Propeller Studios and Jump Studios and Centerpin Media uh, all about getting down to business on uh, making films. Uh, so Grand Prairie happening December 6th, and uh, yeah, uh, the link is in the show notes for your ticket to that. Also very quickly, uh, there's a set etiquette and protocol course. It's a monthly course that we talk about um, every week at the top of the show, put on by IATSE. And this month is no different. It is happening on December 5th, right away here at 6 p.m., at IATSE Local 212 in Calgary. If you have no idea what we're talking about, um, <clears throat> this is for kind of newcomers to the industry, and it's probably the first thing you want to do when you're thinking about a career in the film industry. So a couple of hours, uh, you'll meet Gail Kennedy, who's one of the premier makeup uh, artists in Alberta, and uh, kind of gets your toes dipped into what, what it is like to work on a film set. So yeah. check out the uh, link in the show notes for more information on that. Totally. Uh, we often discuss a uh, friend of the show, a previous guest, uh, safe instructor, um, CSAF instructor, uh, screenwriting uh, master, Jason Long, uh, now uh, sharing his talents with the community at a Company of Rogues, uh, so doing a screenwriting class through that organization, uh, Saturdays, December 8th to March 2nd. Uh, happening from 2.30 to 4.30 p.m. over 10 weeks. No classes on the 22nd or 29th. The instructor is Jason Long, and you can uh, join up that on that class for only $425 for the 10-week course, which is pretty decent. Super decent. And, uh, yeah, he's uh, just a great, great person. Um, definitely someone to know. In yes. our... uh, what is shooting, Matt? There's, you know, there's some stuff going on right now. There actually is, yeah. Um, I still don't know anything about the secret history of the Wild West, um, but uh, that's happening up until uh, April 26th, uh, which is very cool. Uh, the juggernaut Disney film Tenfold continues. Uh, it'll be around until February 14th, in fact. And then we have Ming's Dynasty, a web series uh, shooting. Uh, it just got started shooting yesterday, and will be going until the 15th. Super cool. If you have any projects that are shooting, uh, this is a great place to list them, especially if you're looking for crew. Uh, it's nice to see some activity going on in our quote unquote winter 
Yes, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I I'm guilty of saying, oh, there's not much going on, but there actually is. There's still 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 stuff happening in Alberta. Yeah, totally. Um, so there's a job call for applications for female and female identifying professionals eager to expand their skills as either cinematographer or an editor or location sound recordist for the uh, Herland workshops. So they have a couple of positions open um, that they're looking to fill for six in the production of six short films by the Herland directors. Shooting dates are throughout January 2019. These are paid positions, which is super cool. And you can send, um, yeah, there, there's, you know, uh, different details for each of those positions, but you can send uh, applications to Alexis Moore. Um, yeah, find a link to the show notes uh, in the show notes about this. Um, and you can send a resume and letter of intent. It's a great, you know, it's a, it's kind of a, it's changing um, the landscape, I would say, in Alberta for sure. Is this is this workshop? It's really providing some great opportunities for um, women in our industry, and it's uh, something that you should be a part of if you can. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, I love this note. Was this was this Briar who? Uh, Briar, yeah. <laughs> uh, very smart. I uh, we're, we're it's it's that time of the show where we. Uh, make our weekly recommendation and um, Briar suggested why not uh, recommend an episode from one of the uh, previous 100 that we've uh, that we've recorded Um, and I'm sort of stretching for time here just so I can see if I can pick something Uh, as I look at the list of previous uh, episodes that we've done um, very you know it's very cool we've done we've done quite a few um and uh, I think one that definitely stands out to me uh, would be the uh, Stephen Campanelli episode we did uh, first uh, when we were doing the Story Summit series. If you know Story Summit, uh, the Alberta uh, Media Production Industries Association, Ampia puts on this annual event uh, in Banff, not the Banff World Media Festival, but uh, uh, Story Summit. And it happens at uh, the Banff Center. And it's a wonderful time. And uh, they get some really cool sort of rock star level guests like Oscar uh, nominated filmmakers and uh, people like Clint Eastwood's camera operator. So if you haven't listened to this conversation with Stephen Campanelli, um, he, he spoke with us, you know, right when um, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, uh, is that what it's called? Three billboards. Outside uh, of Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was like, I know it's ebbing, but what's the state? Uh, anyway, Three Billboards was, you know, blowing up the spot, um, getting Oscar nominations. And uh, we're, we're just chatting with the guy who did that incredible uh, single take shot uh, where a fella gets thrown out the window. And um, it's really a really interesting conversation. And uh, what an accessible uh, guy. So uh, nice. Nice to have had him on the show. I would definitely encourage people give that a listen if they haven't. This is incredible to me. I'm just going through the list of all of our episodes. Yeah. And um, wow, there's been some really, really amazing conversations. Totally, totally. Yeah. The, uh, damn, yeah. This is a great resource. <laughs> <laughs> it really is, yeah. Um, I would say one of the most inspiring episodes I'm going to steal, I'm going to sneak in, sneak two in. Okay. Uh, for me, was uh, season two, episode 11, Hustle with Andrew Fung. Oh, yes. Um, I, I, wanted to, I wanted to like run a marathon like an idiot right afterwards. Cause I was just so pumped. He's just got such a great energy. Totally. Totally agree. It was very inspiring. Yeah. But I'll never forget, um, our conversation with Ken Filowich, mm-hmm. which very is good one. season one, episode 49. Yes. And I just remember 
you know, you have conversations every once in a while where you feel like you can just feel your brain getting bigger. Um, and that conversation with Ken was certainly one of them. So I would recommend yeah. those too. you know, it's, it's tough. It's like picking a favor, which I totally don't want to do because there's so mm-hmm. many great, great conversations. Well, yeah, we, we come back to the Ken Village one a lot because it, I think it was such a great conversation that was like, we were, we were like, oh, Final Cut Pro and Avid. And then also like, what does it mean to, you know, to, to, to change the pace of a, of a scene, you know, in the most minor way, perhaps? And how does that affect someone's perception of storytelling in the moment? And uh, it, it went from, you know, very, you know, surface and technical and great to very like, well, this is really, really like a uh, deeper conversation about how storytelling happens, uh, especially when it comes to editing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. So very good choice. I agree. Thanks, man. <laughs> All right. This has been a heck of a long episode already. Uh, but yeah, we will one see of you long next episode, week. The next one will be the same. Yes, yes. With another long one, with another conversation with Murray Ord. And uh, before we go, we should always, as always, thank uh, our, our friends Briar, Chad, Britt, and Seth, who help make the podcast possible every week. Wouldn't be able to do it without those folks. And of course, thank you for listening. Uh, we do make the show for you. Uh, so if you have anything you'd like to share uh, with the community, uh, we would love to uh, put it out there on the podcast and let uh, let the world know. Uh, so how can they get in touch with us, Scott? Well, the best way to do it, we've actually been getting a huge uptick on this lately, is to reach out to us via email yes. at hello at abfilmcast.ca. That's how we stay organized. Um, but you can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, it's all at AB Filmcast. We're now, of course, on Spotify. Yes. Uh, we'd love if you could follow us on Spotify and, of course, subscribe to the Alberta Filmmakers Podcast on iTunes. Uh, if you haven't yet, please do give us a five-star rating. It helps the podcast be discovered by new filmmakers who might not know that we exist yet. Uh, and this resource is, of course, designed for them among everyone else. So uh, that is that. Uh, we encourage you to stick around and listen to the message from the Alberta Post-Production Association. They're doing really good work in our community, and we're so thankful to have them and all of our sponsors. Uh, So thanks to everyone for listening, and then once you're done listening to that, go make some. The Alberta Filmmakers Podcast is proudly sponsored by APA, the Alberta Post-Production Association. APA represents technical and creative professionals working behind the scenes in editing, sound, and visual effects. Our members live here in Alberta and support producers with expertise in picture editing, color grading, graphic design, compositing, audio post, music scoring, and so much more. For more information about post-production, visit APA online at albertapost.org. Go make something. Did I, what? Was that was that good or no? That was that was fine. It's tough on Skype. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's delayed. I was ready. I was waiting. <laughs> All right, let's try it again. With three, two, one, go okay. make some. I don't know. I don't know how in sync we are, but that's the that's how Skype works. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah, we'll just end there. Okay. Bye. Bye.